Apollo 13, 1970, the third manned mission to the moon. And then the accident happened. In this episode, we have two parts. The breaking news about the accident that gripped America. And the second half of the episode is the actual audio recordings that starts just a few minutes before the accident between ground control and the astronauts in space. And now with the breaking news is Walter Cronkite. The flight of the Apollo 13 to the moon is in serious jeopardy this morning and is not going to make a moon landing. As the Apollo 13 was some 205,000 miles from Earth, speeding toward its rendezvous with the moon scheduled for tomorrow night, the fuel cells that supply it with electrical power suddenly failed. With this lack of power, the mission could not be completed to the moon, and it is now a question of getting the men home safely. That can be done with the use of the descent propulsion system engine of the lunar landing craft itself, which of course is now attached to the nose of the command module. Uh, But that uh, will be a first, of course, in space, and this is indeed the gravest emergency probably yet in the American space program. The whole circumstance uh, began unfolding at around 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time some three hours ago when Jim Lovell, the commander of the Apollo 13 uh, command module Odyssey, reported back uh, to the Mission Control Center in Houston that uh, the fuel cells were draining rapidly of their power. They have three fuel cells and one and three went out almost immediately and two began draining rapidly. They was try to conserve some of the power in that uh, fuel cell. They shut down all power and went on the battery power in the lunar module landing craft, uh, Aquarius. We can hear the Astros now as they are talking to Houston at this moment, and let's listen in. So when you can see some stars, if you can, I think you can recognize them and recognize constellations, uh, please let us know. Participants in the forthcoming press conference uh, within the next 15 minutes or so will be uh, Manned Spacecraft Center Deputy Director Christopher C. Kraft, Jr. Apollo Spacecraft Program Office Manager James A. McDivitt and MSC Director of Flight Operations Sigurd Schoberg. This will be in the small briefing room in the Houston News Center. Will be isolated from the air ground, which will be continually fed uh, in real time to the News Center. and guidance in the uh, spacecraft. Uh, the, with the power down, I gather Wally Sharoff, who was with me, uh, they are not able to uh, determine their exact attitude. 
uh, through their instruments, and uh, therefore they have said they are navigating by simply uh, uh, viewing out of the window uh, the Terminator, the sun line on the moon. That's one of the things I did read, Walter. Now, you must realize we're all trained to look at the star pattern, the celestial sphere, as we call it, to determine which star is a navigation star. We have 37 stars that are part of our computer program. They can be picked up out of the window, and that's part of what you heard in this last transmission. So a, a crude attitude can be obtained initially with the stars. Then we have a, a device in the vehicle, be it the LEM or the command module, in this case, of course, they're using the LEM, to look at a known star. And that data can be transferred from a little optical site. It's kind of fun. I developed that back in Mercury days. Uh, to determine their attitude celestially, which is the inertial attitude we talk about. Now, if the limb computer works properly, they can attach uh, the same star by moving the limb, the whole combination, the limb service module, command module, with the limb propulsion system attitude control to get a fix. Now, the reason that they need that attitude so precisely is to fire the engines. Yes. Uh, they have to be fired with them in the right attitude, or, of course, the thrust is in the wrong direction. Yeah. They go off in the wrong direction. Now, this is all within the capability of the computer program. Uh, it's really, and I guess I simply said you can talk to the LEM computer uh, through uh, any variable, much as the, uh, this optical alignment site. We call it the COAS, which is just a collimating device. But now they're again uh, using that computer as draining some of that precious power that they're From the taking LEM. off that's, the batteries. That's correct. Now, what is, uh, one of the things I read... Uh, uh, excuse me, Wally. Control. Roy Neal has been in mission control. Let's listen in. Good. Control in Houston are gathered around the consoles. They are talking at the moment through the capsule communicator Jack Lausma with astronauts James Lovell and Fred Hayes in Aquarius, the lunar module, which is in control of the situation, moving toward the moon. Jack Swaggart is in the command module. That module, Odyssey, currently powered down, having suffered trouble in two out of the three fuel cells, trouble sufficient to abort the mission of Apollo 13 to the moon and force a return to Earth. A return, however, that will not begin until the lunar module engines are fired up to accelerate the spacecraft, speed it up so that it will go around the moon, and then return to Earth. Uh, that burn is expected in about uh, 20 hours and a half, about 20 and a half hours from now. And this means that the astronauts will be returning to Earth a good deal earlier than expected at 142 hours into the mission, 142 hours after they took off. Right now, Aboard the spacecraft, the men are setting power levels. Here at Mission Control, the various support sections are figuring out at what power levels they can operate. The computers are being checked and aligned. The astronauts are looking out the window, checking stars. And that's the situation right now. To repeat, Apollo 13 will not land on the moon. Instead, engines will be burned aboard the lunar module some 20 and a half hours from now to send it on its way back to Earth. Roy Neal in Mission Control. Back here at our CBS News Space Center in New York, Wally Sharon and I might show you what has transpired here this evening. This is the configuration uh, that the uh, spacecraft have been in uh, since Saturday afternoon when they docked after the very successful takeoff from uh, Merritt Island, the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, uh, with the command module here and the lunar modules here. Uh, what has happened tonight is that the uh, that the service module uh, has the uh, three fuel cells in it that supply fuel, basically, uh, to the command module for the flight 
out and back. It is the service module that is jettisoned just before the command module makes its re-entry uh, when it comes back to Earth. And all of the power supply and uh, life support and environmental equipment basically for long trips out to space are here. Uh, the, uh, the, now this engine is the service propulsion system engine, 20,500 pounds of thrust. It is that engine which uh, is depended upon to boost uh, all of this configuration first into the lunar orbit and then out of lunar orbit back home. Without that engine, presumably, they couldn't come back, except, of course, that they do have the lunar modules here below. Uh, now, normally, these would be detached, of course, make the lunar landing. And once they have made the lunar landing, the uh, top section of this, the ascent stage, comes back and rejoins. Then this is jettisoned, and the service propulsion system is left to bring them home. However, with them still attached, as they are now, uh, they can use the descent propulsion system engine, which is here. The reason they can use this, when they are, whereas they cannot use the service propulsion system engine, is that this operates on batteries. It has its own battery supply, not fuel cells. In other words, it doesn't generate electricity. It simply uses it in a storage battery, just like in your automobile, as opposed to the fuel cells, which generate electricity. So with those batteries, they've got just a limited amount of electrical power. But that is enough power, and this engine, which runs from 1,050 to 9,500 pounds of thrust, is throttleable, as so-called, is capable of taking the whole shebang here out of lunar orbit and send it on the way back home. Now, they don't have any backup system anymore. That is the backup system. That's the one that they would have used if the solar propulsion system engine had gone out uh, uh, while they were still in lunar orbit and before they were detached from this. Now they can use it to come home, and that's what they're going to have to do. The maneuvers will be then, first of all, to get lined up, as we were talking about a moment ago, uh, without uh, perhaps uh, some, of the, uh, uh, some of the computer help that they would have normally have, but with the star sites that uh, Wally was just telling us about, they will get lined up uh, as accurately as they can, and it must be quite accurate. Uh, then they will fire this engine down here at the bottom uh, to speed them up. By speeding them up, the moon doesn't catch them in quite the same orbit uh, it would have normally, and, uh, and it, in, in effect, reestablishes what is called a free return trajectory. In other words, it speeds them up enough so that the moon just catches them with its gravity and throws them around in a slingshot maneuver, but just precisely if this firing is correct, so that they will return to Earth. Then perhaps they will need another firing of this engine on the way back to Earth to line up exactly for their landing on the scheduled spot in the Pacific. But at any rate, that's what is being planned right now. There is no further thought of possibly going to the moon, unless by some miracle, I suppose, those uh, fuel cells came back on the line, but that's not even in the, in the books, is it? No, I wouldn't anticipate that. The, uh, once the fuel cells are gone, they're, they're almost irretrievable. The, uh, the one consoling thing, at least the last I've heard, is that a third fuel cell, which is number two in essence, uh, is available on the line, but they've conserved it. You can use the fuel cell to recharge the batteries in the command module, which is significant in that that itself can fly a re-entry without the service module, and does normally. Yeah. Uh, the, the only thing that can re-enter the only thing that has the capability of re-entering is just the command just, module. Just the command module. So they have to be able to jettison the service, uh, uh, the service module, and of course they'll be jettisoning this portion, the landing uh, modules, as uh, they have established that they're on the way safely home and have enough consumables. Now, 
uh, Wally, are consumables any problem? Oxygen and water. Uh, uh, they get some of their water supply as a byproduct of the fuel cells, I know. Right. But they also have pretty good uh, supply on board tanks that uh, well, are already filled, aren't they? The, the, by now, the uh, water byproducts of the fuel cells should have filled up the, what we call the potable water tanks so that that supply is uh, readily available. And it's, it's yeah. a, a pneumatic source, so it, it just basically squeezes out from an air pressure system. It's actually oxygen uh, through a water gun, so they can drink that. Now, in the land, there is water also stored there for the crew. What so about, I, I'm uh, not worried about water. I'm not worried about food. What about the oxygen, oxygen itself will uh, should flow, flow through uh, from the limb or from the command module because it's gaseous and should come through. Now, there may be some electrical circuits that must be activated and can be even by the command module to bring this through. To circulate the oxygen, we have some pumps, we call them compressors, but they're much like little fans that merely circulate the gas through the vehicle so that you don't have uh, layers of uh, impure gas and then layers of good oxygen. Well, this, this shouldn't be too much of a problem. The load that's required for that is very low. So, uh, so the electrical load, of course, is what I'm referring to. So really the, uh, the problem that uh, faces the men in Mission Control in Houston and Jim Lovell and Jack Swigert Fred Hayes aboard uh, Apollo 13 is uh, simply the one of, uh, of getting the limb to sense stage firing off at the proper moment, proper time, with the proper thrust. Uh, presumably that's available from the battery supply they have. Uh, the concern at the moment then is, is limited to that uh, and the, of course, uh, the feeling that we've uh, uh, aren't going to make a moon landing this time. Uh, I, I would say we can just forget the moon landing for now and uh, concentrate on using the LEM descent stage, as you aptly described it, as the propulsion system. Now, the attitude that they will acquire can be acquired either by the reaction jets. Notice these small little thrusters you see here. These are very similar to the ones you see on the service module. So they can use those to establish the attitude of the whole stack, as we might call it, or the she bang yeah. uh, to to get it to get it oriented in the proper. They're having structure. a little problem right now. We've just been advised from uh, Mission Control in Houston. Uh, they're rolling around their fore and aft axis, up and down axis. And uh, Lovell says he's uh, this slight roll. He's trying now to stop. Uh, what would that indicate? Uh, he's probably got to learn how to use these uh, with what I would call the combined stack. Uh, our training normally involves flying the LEM with the two stages as one in uh, one system, not controlling this whole stack from the LEM attitude control system. If you see what I'm trying to say, no, I, I, to I use do. these to now, control it. So these are off-center from the uh, center of mass. But now, Wally, learning to use a new system like this uh, in the past has meant an expenditure of quite a lot of fuel. Well, uh, I, I heard that one report from Mission Control, they've got 20 hours, so I think he'll sneak up on this one. Yeah. He's not going to rush into it. Now, 20 hours before the firing. This is why we still have test pods flying these things, and I'm quite pleased to realize we have three of them up there. It's interesting that Jack Swigert, when he was uh, suddenly called off the bench of the backup crew uh, to replace Ken Mattingly for this flight, uh, you made the comment uh, down in... Uh, Florida Saturday that uh, and several of the other astronauts and others we heard from uh, said it, uh, that in one way uh, he was the best man possible as a substitute since he wrote the book about uh, 
the command module and its possible malfunction. So if anybody knows what might be wrong in there, he, he does. I I'd, I'd say Jack is the, the best man to have aboard right now, and I'm sure that none, none of us would envy that slot. But in any case, I would say that if there's a solution to this problem, he's, he's going to help unearth it. Now, the timeline of, uh, of events, as I understand it, and we're waiting for that news conference in Houston, I suppose it's about to start uh, any minute now, and we'll cut in when it does. Uh, the, uh, uh, the timeline is that they will fire this descent stage engine uh, 20 hours from now, mm -hmm. roughly, uh, which would uh, put it uh, at about, uh, what, uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, I think that that is the time that I had heard earlier, 9.23 or something like that, uh, Eastern time tomorrow night. Uh, at that time, they will be uh, on the far side of the moon, uh, just, just making the first kind of turn around the moon as the moon has caught them and is swinging them within its own gravity. Uh, they, will, uh, they will come on around the moon and fire this engine at that time to boost them out of moon orbit at precisely the right moment to put them back on a trajectory toward the toward the Earth. So the critical time for them now, uh, as far as the maneuver goes, is uh, at nine something uh, tomorrow night, Eastern time. If uh, all goes well then, uh, Odyssey, the command module, will be splashing down in the Pacific according to the present calculations at 12.13 uh, p.m. Eastern time, uh, Friday. Uh, it was intended, of course, that it land on the moon, the lunar module, on Wednesday night. The walk on the moon was scheduled for Thursday, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, entire spacecraft, after another day of orbiting the moon, was scheduled to return on uh, the following Tuesday. But uh, now all of that schedule has been changed, and uh, we have a, something of a crisis in space. I gather, Wally, that you are reasonably confident that all of this can go now as uh, Houston has figured it out and the fellows up there in Odyssey. One, or one of the things that comes to my mind, because people always ask us about it, is uh, uh, do you have fear? And that's a great luxury. You can't have fear in this environment. If you do, uh, the next thing you approach is the luxury of panic. And these men are trained to fly in the most extreme circumstances and in the past, almost all of our missions have been, in, a, in contrast, a piece of cake. Because we've always trained for the worst case. Now, this is one of those bad cases. I wouldn't say it's the worst case. So, Wally, that's it. Excuse me, but we're going to Houston now. The uh, news conference is just beginning. Christopher Kraft, Kraft Center, is speaking. I should uh, start out by saying that uh, we have a serious problem uh, in the command and service module. We appear to have had some kind of uh, accident with the uh, in the region of the fuel cells and the oxygen tanks. We have not tried too much to reconstruct the uh, what has happened because we were more concerned at the moment for getting the situation under control. Uh, as you have seen, we've uh, begun to use the uh, limb as a device for keeping oxygen in both the command and service command module and the lunar module and we're using the power system from the lunar module uh, the it appears at the present time that everything is under control and that uh, we have a safe situation at the moment uh, i think uh, 
Colonel McDivitt may want to give you some more details on the systems, and uh, Mr. Schoberg could certainly talk about the operations plans that are going on at the present time in the control center. Uh, right, Chris. The way we have the spacecraft configured right now is uh, with the CSM powered down completely. Uh, before we powered it down, we were able to isolate the surge tank and the emergency repress tanks in the, CS in the command module. Uh, these provide oxygen for reentry, so we have a, a command module that has oxygen for reentry. It has the reentry batteries, it has pyro batteries, and all the systems uh, that are in the command module. Our uh, malfunction uh, apparently occurred in the bay, which which includes the hydrogen tanks, the oxygen tanks, and the fuel cells, and uh, was in no way connected with anything with the command module. We should be able to provide power, electrical power, from the LEM for the uh, return voyage to Earth. Uh, we should re be able to return on the oxygen within the limb, and we will be using the lithium hydroxide out of both the command module and the uh, lunar module. We can still power the command module from the lunar module at uh, low power levels through the wiring which is normally used to power the limb from the command module. So we expect that we'll be using a dual spacecraft mode from now until the time that we uh, get back to Earth. Uh, we'll have to, we'll be firing the LEM engine uh, at some time later to accelerate our return voyage, and I think Sig probably comment on that best. Uh, yeah, the uh, minimum return to Earth time, this would be a total flight duration, would be about 133 hours. That would result in a landing in the Atlantic, that's one option we have. A second option would be to go to the uh, Mid-Pacific line. That would take about uh, 142 hours uh, total flight duration. The burns to get you back would be made at about between 77 hours and 79 hours of, of uh, flight from liftoff. We'd anticipate that the descent propulsion system would be used for either of these maneuvers and it has the capability of either of the ones I described. Ready for questions now? Please wait for the mic. We're going to have to get all this. Uh, where are we? Are you ready? Let's, let's start here and work across. Mark Bloom, then we'll go this way and we'll turn over to the aisle. Uh, for Jim McDevitt or anyone who wants to ask, how much electrical life power at a time, lifetime, do we have in the LEM, and how much oxygen lifetime, how long do we have? Well, Mark, it depends upon how we use it, obviously. We have four batteries in the descent stage of the LEM with 400 amp-hours each. We have uh, two batteries in the ascent stage with 296 amp-hours each. If you rough that out quickly, it says we can use power at about 25 amps. Uh, Steady state current until we get back. Now, we'll have to uh, arrange the electrical profile so that we can bring up the systems to perform the dock DPS maneuver, and then we'll power down to minimum levels and go along like that. When I left, we had an ample power supply to do the whole mission, but we were still roughing it out and trying to get in a configuration which we knew. Oxygen, we have 48 pounds of oxygen in the, in the uh, LEM descent tanks, which is more than adequate to do the mission. We also have a couple pounds in the, in the LEM ascent tanks. I, I think I said decent, 
descent tank has 48 pounds, the ascent tanks have about a pound or so. Point out that we have locked up the CSM systems to preserve that spacecraft for reentry, both in terms of power and, and oxygen. So uh, it, it is sufficient to support entry. The command uh, lodge is completely intact. There's no problem with it at all. I wonder if we can expand a little more on the possibility of an Atlantic uh, Ocean landing and what the recovery posture is for the Atlantic. Uh, for an Atlantic landing, we would have airplanes with para-jumpers on the scene at the time of landing. We're presently uh, surveying that area of the Atlantic. It's, as I remember, it's about uh, 20 or 25 degrees south and about, uh, I think it's about 25 or 30 degrees west longitude. And we're presently uh, surveying the area for ships of opportunity. But we we do not have a planned recovery ship in that area, as you know. So would you, let, me, let me follow up on that. Would you say that now it seems a great deal more likely that you'd go for 142 hours and the Pacific, where you have a recovery capability? Uh, I think that's a good possibility, but I'd like to reserve judgment until I see what happens in the next hours. We have some uh, 18 or 19 hours until that uh, burn has to be made, so I think we'd certainly be watching the situation. The Pacific is a lot better from from, uh, from the standpoint that we have the ship there. It's better from a, a network standpoint. So it's a preferred place, even though it might take a little longer. Uh, Chris or Jim, can you tell us where the uh, three astronauts are and how they will be living in their return to Earth? Well, when I left, <clears throat> I think that Jack Swigert was still in the command module and uh, Jim and Fred were in the limb. And I think that they'll be living between the two spacecraft until uh, uh, they return. Uh, sometime uh, before reentry, of course, the three of them will return to the command module and put the hatch back in and jettison the limb, jettison the service module. If I were going to, I were going to guess. I'd guess that uh, two of them would sleep in the CSM while the other one stayed awake in the limb. I, I would guess that they'll probably go to some kind of ship like that. Yeah. And I followed up. How are they going to be getting oxygen and heat in, in, in the uh, command module? From the lamb? Uh, we're going to be running one environmental control system or the other. Initially, we'll be running the lamb system. That's what we're running right now. Now, uh, intermittently, we'll run the CSM system to make sure that we keep the uh, atmosphere in the lamb uh, free of carbon dioxide. So we'll be alternating. That's why I say there'll be people in both spacecraft. Take them over here, then we'll come back on this far side. Right there, yeah. <coughs> Yeah, well, somebody explain to me what you mean by a ship of opportunity in the Atlantic. Is that some merchant ship or Russian sub that happens to be It could be a merchant ship. It could be, uh, uh, I suppose it could be a foreign nation's naval vessel, any of that kind of thing. You mean any ship in the Atlantic? Yes, sir. Right here. Uh, Chris, has this abort situation or altered uh, trajectory ever been run on simulators? In just this way. Oh yes, uh, many times we run all kinds of abort situations, and and if you recall in uh, in Colonel McDivitt's flight, we actually burned the uh, dips engine attached to the command and service module. The the uh, autopilot in the lunar module is designed to carry out the maneuver under those circumstances. That is the digital autopilot to damp the the oscillations of the combined spacecraft. Uh, we are looking even at uh, the possibilities of dropping the service module, but 
that particular type of, of maneuver has not been tested in flight, and we'd have to make ourselves certain that uh, we could control the spacecraft under that kind of CG and inertia condition. So that's kind of unlikely that we would do that. We, if we did that, it would give us that much more delta V, you see, because we'd get rid of quite a bit of weight from the uh, CSM. Secretary, uh, uh, Chris or Jim, uh, if you've got a situation where the limb oxygen system can provide like a 50 plus hours for two guys, uh, how do you equate that with 146 hours return if you don't have any kind of environmental control uh, uh, operation in the command module right now? Normally, we on the lunar surface we plan on three on the lunar surface repressurizations. It actually has enough for four. Now there's about 6.6 .6 pounds of oxygen per repressurization required in the and the limb leak rate is about uh, 0.08 pounds per hour. Uh, the metabolic rate is a little bit, and we're using probably two-tenths of a pound per hour, so we've got uh, quite a large margin there. You recharge the uh, pluses also. Pardon? Let's get this straight if you can. You're saying you use two-tenths of a pound per man per hour? A better, number, a better number is six to eight pounds for the three men per day. Correct, and yeah. that plus what you, you might to, have for uh, yeah, you have to take in that cabin leakage too. All right, if, if I can follow up here just a second, have you got enough enough oxygen to get them back safely? Yes. All right, over here. According to the press handouts, the Navy's got a standby task force in the Atlantic to recover if necessary. You wouldn't go to this; you'd go to the Ship of Opportunity Emergency Ship if necessary. We don't have a U.S. Navy recovery ship in the Atlantic. Deemed necessary for this mission? It was not deemed necessary for this mission. Say, where were the where was the Atlantic recovery point again, uh, geographically, if you could, uh, and the Pacific? This point. is this is uh, rough, Paul, but it's something like 20 to 25 degrees south latitude, and I think it's about 30 degrees west longitude. Just below the point of South America there, Paul. The bulge in that area. Do south of that. Uh, you mentioned uh, that, that you should be able to generate around 25 amps per hour, uh, and you have to divide that out against the loads. Will there be sufficient power for the transponders so that you can get a good track on the uh, spacecraft? Uh, I will be able to bring them up um, when we need to, and I believe that we'll have that kind of power. I really don't have that close a handle on the power. I, we came over here before we had all those details worked out to that well, level. As long as, with the uh, Omnis and the 220-foot uh, dishes, I don't think we'll have any problem there. Also, I, I appreciate that you haven't been able to give any uh, thought to uh, what caused all this, but there, I was looking through the transcript, and there, there were certain problems with the O2 uh, tanks and uh, cryo temperatures and uh, problems of pan cycling and stratification. Is this, uh, apparently one of the tanks was oscillating very rapidly in temperature, and this was noted earlier today. Uh, does this give you uh, any, uh, any thought of what might have happened? No, not yet. Uh, stratification is something that typically happens in these tanks, and it's nothing that we haven't seen before. Uh, right now, I have absolutely no clue to what happened. We had something... It was pretty widespread, we know. Rather violent happened in Bay 4, we think. It, something happened to the fuel cells in the oxygen tank, and, and they were down in that area. It was a rather violent kind of thing because it apparently reset some of the 
check valves in the RCS quads, which are susceptible to shock. But as far as what exactly happened, I have no idea. Uh, Chris, are, are you confident that you have enough power under the con current configuration to, to bring the, the uh, follow back in? Yes, but I think we'll have to be very frugal in how we use it, and that's what you've probably heard some of the discussions uh, uh, back and forth between the crew. We, we were trying to consider whether we would keep the platform up, for instance, between now and the time you go behind the moon in order to maintain that alignment so that they wouldn't have to do another alignment when they get ready to do the burn on the dips and so on. So it will have to be very carefully used between here and the, and the splash. And, and how do you feel in point of concern between now and Gemini 8? Well, I, I guess I would have to say I feel a great deal more concerned. We're, uh, we're still something like uh, 70 to 80 hours away from the Earth. And in Gemini 8, we were never more than an hour and a half to get to a recovery point and never more than 20 minutes to land. Carl, we'll take one back here and we'll move up this way again. At the time that you left, what was the situation with regard to venting to the outside and motions of the spacecraft from that? Was there any? I, just, I don't know. I can't, I, I the, can't venting recall. Had, the venting had been decreasing and if we were leaking probably from that bay and it, it looked like the pressures were all dropping so I would assume that the venting had gone down but it was a little difficult to tell from the, the conversation. I would assume that the venting had decreased considerably. Uh, you were not getting any particular rates anymore at the time you were leaving? <coughs> not that I recall. I think they had the uh, LEM RCS uh, system up and so it would be difficult to tell even then whether they did have any rates. Uh, they were transitioning from one, one spacecraft control system to another and and running back and forth through the tunnel and aligning the platform. There's an awful lot of activity going on, and we didn't ask them what the rates were. I believe I heard uh, Fred Hayes mention that uh, it might be considered to use a deep space abort in order to uh, immediately get the burn over with and power down the limb so you wouldn't have that drain in keeping it powered up till they get around the moon. Has this been completely disregarded now? We can't. Uh, the position we are now on the Earth-Moon plane, we have to go around the the uh, the moon to get back if we're going to use the dips engine. You, you would have had enough capability with the SBS engine, but of course we don't dare use that now. So we have to go up to the back side of the moon and come back. I have a question in three parts. First of all, if they do uh, choose the Pacific method of recovery, will the recovery point be changed from original planning or will it still be the same? I think it, it's uh, moved west and south some. I think it's about 165 degrees west and uh, some 20 degrees south. It, it is farther south and farther west than the end of mission plan. Well, this, uh, the other two questions uh, kind of combined. Uh, if you did it landed in the, in the Atlantic and you did uh, have to go to a ship of opportunity, would you hesitate at all to ask any ship of any nation? No, sir, I wouldn't. And uh, will this necessitate uh, future thinking toward a backup recovery uh, fleet in the, in the Atlantic? We certainly will reassess that, yes, sir. Yeah, what are the back there? Uh, Chris, will you come in at 400K and uh, Will there be any problem in jettisoning the uh, limb? 
you know, uh, entry or, or what will be that mechanics? It, it's done the same way as it is around the moon and the same way coming back uh, from, the, from the moon with the service module. You have pyrotechnic batteries and separate pyrotechnic uh, lines, electrical sources, which uh, are dependent only on those power sources. So uh, we don't have any problems there in terms of uh, separation now. The, uh, the dynamics, mechanics of the thing would not be a problem either. Uh, for Jim McDivitt, uh, uh, is, is a situation like occurred in Bay 4 something that might have occurred if it was hit by a, uh, a meteoroid? And for uh, Chris Kraft, in, in following up your earlier comments, uh, do, you, do you feel they have a good chance to make it back? Well, you asked me first. It was, <clears throat> there was something uh, which appeared to be quite violent that occurred in Bay 4, and yes, if you were stuck by a meteor, it would be quite violent. Uh, I'm not... A, Assuming that's what happened, Mark, but that could have done it. Yes, I think their chances are excellent at the moment, assuming that the lunar module continues to operate well. Uh, can you think of anything else that might cause such a violent event as besides a meteor? No, yeah. we could probably think of an infinite number of things that could... Well, two or three that would be well, within the realms of likelihood, I mean. I guess I, I really... There are a lot of things that could have happened. It would be just pure conjecture. Anything that's down there that's pressurized could have let go, and there are all kinds of pressurized things. There are pressurized hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, fuel cells. Uh, it's a very complicated bay that, that this happened in. Very good. Uh, what is the moment that you have to uh, get everybody out of the limb and back into the command module and seal it off and, uh, and get ready for entry? I mean, what, how, how late can you continue to use the limb before you, you have to go to the batteries on the command module? It's pretty late. It doesn't take too long to uh, get back in the CSM. The thing that you want to make sure is that uh, you have adequate time to put the hatch in and blow the limb off, and it really doesn't take very long. I'm sure that will be a process where yeah. a couple of them will get back in the CSM, get everything set up, and they'll do that as late as possible. I guess uh, we'd have to work that out. 30 minutes or hour or 15 minutes or some range like that. Want to start using the CSM batteries as late as possible. Okay, we're going to come up the middle, Harry. Uh, uh, on the present trajectory, how far beyond the moon will they go before they start to hook back? And what would the missed distance at the Earth be without a correcting burn from the dips? Well, on the present traje trajectory, we would come within about 60 nautical miles of the backside of the moon. We are not on a free return trajectory at present. Uh, it would take a very small burn, say in the next five or 10 hours, to get us back on a free return on the order of 20 to 40 feet per second. I can't answer your second question about how far we've missed. I don't know. Right here. Uh, will the dips burn be the major rocket maneuver you will make on coming back? And if so, where will it be? On the far side of the moon? Or It'll be, be on the far Yes, it will be the dips. It will be on the some place between Paralune on the far side of the moon and uh, two hours after that. Just pick these up coming up the middle of the aisle. We'll just take them both sides here. Do you recall the, my, the um, approximate mileage 
at which point you could still do a deep space abort and come back. Uh, what is the crossover? 140,000? It's probably farther than that, Paul. I don't remember the exact number, but if, uh, I think at the time of this incident, if you'd used the, the SPS engine, you could just about have done it, but it would have taken just about the whole thing. 176,000, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, if I recall, Paul, I think the number was 9,000 foot per yeah. second in, in about 140 hours. What, what would cause you to choose the Atlantic over the Pacific for recovery? And are you now surveying the Atlantic to find out what ships are available to you? Uh, yes, we are surveying the Atlantic to find out what ships are available. Uh, I think the only reason you go to the, the Atlantic, if sometime between now and the burn, something would happen to make you very time critical in getting back. Burn more quickly or sooner? No, it's a bigger burn to go to the Atlantic. It's about uh, 2,000 or 1,900 feet per second and gets you back uh, some nine hours earlier. How many It's about 900. Let's come up there. We have the gentleman in, this, in the middle of the road here, in the, in the khaki jacket. Um, in the transcript, um, I'd like to read from this. Uh, Lovell says, um, yes, um, I've got to put the cabin retreat valve in there. Every time he does that, our hearts jump in our mouths. Now, I don't understand what he's talking about here, but could this have anything to do with the, with the accident? If, if something happened that made their hearts jump in their mouths, what was it? Uh, I think he's talking about the cabin repress valve in the limb, which goes bang when you operate it. Well, McDivitt uh, said that uh, any pressurization could do anything. Is there any link here? Any pressure? Uh, no. I guess I don't understand the, the question. The, what you're asking is, did that uh, statement have anything to do with the accident and I think oh, definitely no. not so he was talking about something that went on in the lunar module as opposed to the, where the accident occurred in the command service mine I'd like to go back to uh, Bay 4 uh, do you expect to be able to tell exactly what happened there and if so how soon well, we have people working on it right now and I don't know whether we'll ever be able to tell exactly what happened there or not. We're reducing the data like we do on all of the on the space flights and whenever we have an anomaly and uh, to date we've been quite successful in determining what happened. Whether or not we are in this case I have no idea. We're certainly going to do the best job that we can. Well sometimes it takes a long time. I have no idea on this. I haven't seen the data myself at all. We were trying to figure out what to do rather than to, to, uh, to play out the old data. And that's what we'll be doing till we get them back on the water. Is concentrating on everything that is de their, their lives are dependent upon at the moment, rather than worrying about the accident. Because there's nothing we can do about that now. This service module is no longer useful in most cases because the oxygen is depleted. So, uh, other than the fact that you've got uh, propulsion, some propulsion left and uh, the batteries in the command module, and uh, we're going to worry about those situations from now to splash. Initially, we're we were trying to find out what was wrong down there, so we could possibly correct it before we lost the oxygen. We weren't able to do that in time, and I think that we'll put that effort on a very low priority right now and work on the other stuff. Pardon? Any, no, no hints. What about your thermal control situation? The, uh, do you expect any problems from heat because of your configuration now? 
Well, we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to just maintain a single attitude hold all the way to the moon and back. Uh, we're going to do something, and we're, we've been working on that. I guess the guys are working on that now, aren't they? I don't think we can answer that question truthfully because we've never had a situation where we had not had powered up conditions in the command module and, and powered conditions in the LEM. So that, uh, that's probably going to be a real-time situation. Chris, uh, at the risk of asking you to oversimplify a very complex situation, and uh, certainly I don't mean this facetiously, is there any concern, real concern, can you get them back, taking into consideration all the imponderables, the, the power, the oxygen, the landing area, and all this sort of thing? Is this, If the situation remains stable as it is at the moment, there's no question but what we have the thing under control and we can return the crew safely to the earth. Now, we're going to have to make some compromises and procedures as how you do that, uh, but that can be done. We've got a number of different ways of doing things, like re-entry. If we couldn't, for instance, get the platform up, we have the what we call the entry monitoring system. We can enter, enter at constant G if we had to with, with no entry monitoring system. If everything remains as is, uh, we can get them back successful. Now, if there was some change in the status of the lunar module, then that might that might mean something else, and we will keep you appraised of that situation. All right, right here. Uh, what that might happen that already hasn't happened? Can you can you give us an indication of what could happen? Well, you, you might have some problem with some system in the lunar module that would put us in a very serious situation, like a leak in the oxygen system or uh, something that would happen to the electrical power. There's no indication now that there's anything wrong with the limb. It's performing properly, and like Chris said, if everything works the way it is now, there's no doubt that they'll come back all right. What time did the accident occur? I don't have an exact guess. It must have been 56, 56 hours. Yeah, 55 and a half to 56 hours in that time period. I didn't. All right. Mark. The crew be in uh, wearing their space suits, or will they be shirt sleeve, or how will they be traveling the rest of the trip? Well, they're shirt sleeves right now. I would guess they'd probably stay shirt sleeves. I see no reason to go back to the suits. Yes. Yes. All right, we're going to take these two here, then we're going to go back on this side. Uh, Jim, I'm not clear on what the vetting did to the uh, spacecraft's attitude and pitch roll in your Well, he had a negative pitch and a negative roll, and... Uh, that's one of the clues that we had that something happened in Bay 4 in addition to the fact that we had all these other anomalies to the equipment that's in there. It meant that it was pitching nose down and it was rolling to the left. I think the other thing you have to remember is that uh, we have certain instrumentation that uh, we can believe or not believe. I mean by that that when you have something like this happen, you don't know that you're not reading false information from some of the instruments. So you have to look at those and see how they fail, etc., and see what the measurements are, see which direction they went when they began to fail to see whether that you're reading true information. Chris, could you uh, put this in a, a somewhat larger perspective? Uh, it seems obviously that if this happened on the way back, the, the situation would be critical. I mean, would be fatal. Indeed, you discuss uh, this thing from the standpoint of uh, the resources you're left with uh, when it fails at this point in the mission. 
Well, in any time uh, that you still have the lunar module in the condition that we have it in in this case, where we've not used any of its uh, consumables, uh, uh, then we're in a very good situation. We've always called the limb a good lifeboat under those circumstances. If at any time in the mission, however, the limb had separated, and we had gotten ourselves into a rendezvous situation, or uh, the, the command module being around the moon, then what you state is absolutely true. It would, it would be a fatal situation. What is the critical consumable? Water, lithium hydroxide, oxygen, electrical power, or what? And how long will it last? Well, the, as I mentioned earlier, it, it varies on how you use them. If you turn everything off, then electrical power is not a problem, but of course we have to use it. Uh, oxygen, we have more than a sufficient quantity, and the limb is self-sufficient except for the lithium hydroxide. We're going to have to be using lithium hydroxide out of the CSM to maintain the CO2 level at a lower level. So uh, from that standpoint, we have to use both the command module and the limb. Uh, from an electrical standpoint and an oxygen standpoint, we can use the limb alone. Water? Yes. When the fuel cells aren't functioning? Yes, the limb has a large amount of water that it carries. The limb cooling is done by uh, water. It uses a sublimator rather than radiators, so we'd be using that water for cooling, and there is enough. Well, the, the individual uh, life support system packs that were meant for the moonwalk, can they be used inside of the spaceship? Yes. Where the very back? Have you given a cutting down communications to conserve electrical power? To setting a timeline of, of we'll talk to you with us and so at such hour? I don't think it makes that much difference. Uh, and I don't, at this time, I don't think we think we have to do that. Right. Initially, we wanted to get the spacecraft configuration under control so we knew where we were. And as I said, we've got to average about 25 amps or something on that order, plus or minus a few amps. And it's better to burn a few extra amps right now, figure out what you're going to do, and have all the capability of, of taking things out later. But you want to make sure that you've got a condition you can live with now. I might say that if, if when we're in a condition where we don't have the 220-foot dish, uh, communications may be somewhat sporadic without the high-gain antenna, which we would probably not want to bring up because of power reasons in the land. Um, I know it's probably a little premature, but um, seeing they have had a, a rough time, have you worked out um, any schedules for um, a sleep period for any of the astronauts? No, I think this is a little premature for that. <laughs> Mary? Um, Chris, if the limb continues to operate well, uh, what is your, you know, when the, the systems and the power and all that kind of jazz, uh, what is your primary concern? Do you have any concern about the spacecraft, you know, things working sufficiently in it to bring it back? No. Uh, I think that uh, with the ground situation that we have, that is the tracking we have from the ground, and the maneuvers that we can give them from the ground, uh, I think that we're perfectly satisfied that that situation is well under control. Would extreme weather conditions uh, affect your choice of landing sites, and do you have any idea what the weather will be like in the landing sites? I haven't looked at the weather yet, but we, we would still have uh, range control during reentry, some hundreds of miles, perhaps a thousand. What will the procedures be for the rest of the night?
they are not defined yet. Chris, you were in a catbird seat on John Glenn in a retro pack that didn't come off, Scott Carpenter in an overshoot, Dave Scott in a stuck thruster. Uh, how would you, uh, and forgive me if I put you on a spot, but how would you classify this situation as regards to these that we are familiar with a little well, bit? I'd, I'd say this is as serious a situation as we, ever, we have ever had in manned space flight. This man will clear it. Uh, Jim, two questions. One, uh, with the uh, situation of using the lithium hydroxide in the lunar module, will there be any chance that the air might get uh, stuffy at all before this is out? And could you paint a picture for us of what it's like in the command module with it powered down? What, what does uh, Swigert, whoever's in there, see? Is it just the lights from the computer or the disk keep blinking or, or what? Well, we'll, we'll, first let me ask, answer the one about the lithium hydroxide. We'll be using uh, the lithium hydroxide out of the, the limb, and then we'll be using some out of the command module, and then some out of the limb, and then some out of the command module, trying to keep the environments in both spacecraft uh, acceptable. Uh, the disk key has been turned off. The command module is powered down now, so there won't be any lights in it at all. We'll be using this, this flashlight. We have three reentry batteries in the command module, and uh, we have no way of recharging these things now with the fuel cells gone, so we don't want to waste any of this uh, valuable electrical power by running unnecessary equipment in the command module. Now we will, we do have the capability of powering some things in the command module from the limb as long as we keep this power load down low uh, by the, the umbilical that runs through the tunnel. In a report uh, a few moments ago from the Aquarius, they were still having problems with the role and they had not attained the, uh, the configuration that they wanted. My question is, do you know precisely where they are and are they on? Are their computers operable and in tune with yours? You've talked about perhaps some of the instruments giving you bad readings. Do you know at this moment precisely where they are? Oh yes, I think we know the trajectory they're on. If that is your question, yes, sir. We we may not know exactly what their alignment uh, is. I think that we were fairly well satisfied that the CSM and the LEM were properly aligned with each other before we shut down the CSM. Hole that uh, was caused by this. I don't think we know that. Yeah. As far as the, uh, we know where the limb is, but it doesn't know where it is because when we went in there and powered it up, we only went through that part of the power-up procedure that brought the IMU on the line and in a known configuration. All that equipment, uh, all that erasable memory that has to do with where it is, isn't in there, and the limb really doesn't navigate normally between the Earth and the Moon anyway. So. We're going to have to keep track of it from the ground, and, but the main thing is the, the LEM provides the attitude with respect to the stars, and that's the uh, uh, reference with, which we'll use for all uh, powered maneuvers. I think we're very anxious to get back to work, so we're going to take about two or three more questions and then, and then cut it off. So Chris, I know this is very early to answer this kind of question, but Project Apollo had a pretty uh, carefully thought out lineup of things that you wanted to do. You curtailed it uh, from by eliminating flight number 20. Now, for practical purposes, you've eliminated flight number 13 as far as lunar exploration is concerned. Can you give us any idea at all what this breakdown is going to do to the rest of the program? Well, I'm sure that we will reassess the landing sites uh, that have been chosen. We'll reassess the command service module itself. We want to satisfy ourselves that uh, we've done the best we can before we launch again. Uh, I believe that uh, 
in terms of the landing sites, we, we will probably reconvene and uh, go through our landing site selection again to make sure we're satisfied that that is true. I think we've done that enough now, however, that we can probably come pretty close to, to laying out the sites that we'd like to go to. Would you, would you think that the six-month hiatus between shots that you've laid out for yourself now would be sufficient to get a handle on what was wrong with the service module and correct it? Or do you think that there might be a delay, a stretch out as a result of that? Well, I think that's very difficult to, to answer, Bill. Uh, let me say this. I don't think we would hesitate to wait a longer period of time than six months if we were not satisfied. The uh, dip spurn that has been referred to, would that have to occur behind the moon out of radio contact, or could you fix it so that you could perform it in radio contact? It could be in radio contact, uh, possibly. On the uh, backup systems, the way the various backup systems, as far as moving into the limb, and the, uh, the various systems that have backed themselves up, the, the emergency systems, are you satisfied with the way they've worked? And is this giving you an insight into things that might be needed in, in, uh, in future flights, even more backup systems uh, that would back up some of these possibly that have now failed? Well, <clears throat> the command and service module was designed to be an independent spacecraft, and we built the redundancy into the spacecraft. This was, whatever happened today was one of those cases that's very difficult to design for. We had... Uh, something happened which was a major uh, consequence down in the, that bay, I think, because of the, of the multitude of things that occurred when you lose two fuel cells and an oxygen tank and a, the oxygen runs out of the other and all that. That's something very significant. It would be very difficult to design against that. We were fortunate that we are on the way to the moon with the LEM on board, or LEM attached. So I wanted to ask about, uh, you say that on the return flight this could have been extremely critical. Uh, are you thinking now in terms of something to do in the event this should occur on a return flight? I think that would be uh, pretty near uh, impossible to do at this time with that vehicle. One's here and then we're going to take Mary and then we're going to have to close it up. Did the fact that you went into a hybrid trajectory yesterday pulling you out of free, free return, is that going to cause you any troubles in trying to get back around the moon? No, as I said earlier, we're not on a free return right now, but it it would only take a maneuver of about 20 to 40 feet per second to get you back on a free return. That could be done in, say, five or ten hours from now if we chose to do that. Uh, Chris and Jim, uh, do you have any feeling of how the crew feels and also uh, Marilyn and Mary on this situation? Uh, I would only guess that the crew feels that uh, the situation is under control, but, uh, that they were in a serious condition and they, they uh, knew they had a job to do, and I don't think they stopped to consider what their personal feelings were at the moment. Uh, you'll have to wait and see how they felt about it themselves. As far as uh, the, the wives are concerned, I'm sure uh, Deke Slayton has talked to them, but we have not. I, th I think when you're in a, a spot like that where you're busy and you have a lot of things to do, uh, I think you just go ahead and do them. And the, the crew's been jumping back and forth between spacecraft and firing systems up and down and, and maneuvering around quite ably in the spacecraft, and they've had the situation well in hand, so I think they've been probably too busy to sit back and Certainly they have remained uh, very calm and uh, responsive to uh, the discussions from the ground, and uh, I'd say they're, they have the situation well under control. We're going to continue to schedule these briefings throughout the mission whenever there's a 
point where we think interpretation would help, and uh, we'll be back again. But I think we ought to get back to Mission Control now. That was the news conference in Houston, the first since the trouble developed with Apollo 13 at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time last night now, some four hours ago, and which has caused a cancellation of any plans to land on the moon and has uh, developed into a critical situation for the astronauts as they must go to a backup uh, emergency system to get around the moon and back on the way home safely. The conferees you heard there were Christopher Kraft, the deputy director of the Manned Spacecraft Center, an astronaut, James McDivitt, who's now the Apollo program manager in Houston, and Sigurd Schoberg, the director of flight operations. The Christopher Kraft said that this is as serious a problem as we have ever had in space, but he said the chances are excellent for the safe recovery of the astronauts if the LEM continues to work well, the lunar landing craft, which is still attached to the command module and whose power uh, they will need uh, to uh, get uh, around the moon and back on the way home. He says, uh, Chris Kraft, at this conference that it is a safe situation at the moment. He has confidence in the astronauts, of course. They have plenty of oxygen in the lunar module for the entire uh, trip that would get them back home now on Friday around noon uh, if they land in the Pacific, a little earlier if it is decided to land them in the Atlantic, although uh, Mission Control clearly would prefer to land in the Pacific where the helicopter carrier ship, the Iwo Jima, is uh, waiting and has been on station for some time for the planned uh, return from the moon. There is no recovery ship in the Atlantic, we learned tonight, although NASA earlier had said that for launch, at least, a destroyer, the USS New, was in the Atlantic in case of a launch abort. Presumably it has left its station now. An Atlantic uh, uh, recovery would be a little southwest of that bulge of South, uh, of South America, uh, southwest, that is, of Recife, uh, Brazil. The, uh, the uh, interesting possibility was raised at this news conference that the cause of the difficulty could have been that the spaceship was hit by a meteoroid. This has always been considered a possible danger in space, but uh, it had been pretty well uh, dismissed as man had ventured further out there and had uh, finally gone to the moon four times successfully before this trip. But uh, it does seem that there was an explosion. Something violent took place in the uh, service module, uh, that is the large tank-like uh, section behind the command module where the fuel cells are located, and uh, it caused a venting of oxygen. Uh, this uh, could sounds as if something broke through the uh, skin of the service module to cause that uh, venting, and uh, the suggestion has been made and not been knocked down by NASA yet that it might have been a meteoroid strike. However, there are a lot of tanks under considerably high pressure in that service module that also could have uh, exploded, uh, causing this uh, considerable emergency. 
They will apparently have communications throughout this uh, trip uh, there and back, despite the fact they will go in a powered-down uh, configuration. That is, they'll use as little power as they possibly can, but uh, they will not power up their strongest antenna, and communications may be a little bit spotty. Uh, Lovell is reporting now that he cannot see stars out of the LEM windows because the windows are covered with debris, presumably from the mishap. Uh, now, uh, how serious that could be, since uh, it means that, uh, I suppose, his problems of alignment now become a little bit more difficult, don't they, uh, Wally? Uh, he was going to perhaps have to align the platform of the spacecraft uh, for the firing uh, by sighting on the stars. Well, this, this is uh, the, the crudest way of aligning. That's looking through the windows at no star patterns, but uh, looking through the optical device uh, would be the next check, and I don't, I don't understand what he's really saying there. Uh, obviously, we can't go out and turn on the, the, the duty windshield wiper as we do in an automobile to clear the window. So uh, I, I have to think this one over a bit to see what he's going to do to align. You know... Uh we have, uh, for the first time on this flight, I think, uh, fortunately, a cir circumstances turn out, a, a, a network uh, correspondent in mission control who can report to us the mood and the attitude and the feelings there at this time of uh, rather considerable crisis. Uh, our correspondent is Roy Neal. He's been inside mission control uh, right along this evening since the crisis developed at 10 o'clock, and here he is. Control. We have learned that a group of astronauts are at the moment working in a simulator here at the Manned Spacecraft Center, trying to duplicate the conditions of the men out in space, trying to find out in particular if the men can see stars, for if they can, some power can be saved aboard the lunar module by using stars for aligning the computer. If not, that power would have to be used, and power at the moment is the critical factor aboard the lunar module. Conservation of power is the big thing that they're talking about here. The controllers are working... Here at our CBS News Space Center, uh, we have with us Leo Krupp, the test astronaut engineer for North American Rockwell, uh, who's been with us on all of these uh, Apollo flights and many flights before that. Leo, I'm wondering, I think uh, most of our viewers probably heard most of that news conference uh, by now, and we there were some rather technical questions raised that maybe you could help us with. If we could go back through a couple of the notes I made here. Uh, one thing they talked about was the lithium hydroxide, which seemed to be a, uh, the only critical factor in providing oxygen. They have uh, apparently do not have enough lithium hydroxide in the uh, lunar module. They're going to have to depend on the command module for part of that. Lithium hydroxide, we know, is the the purifier, the filter uh, through which they take out the carbon dioxide in the air and recirculate it for oxygen. But uh, uh, how is it contained and what does this mean having to work back and forth to the command module and, and does the electrical power affect that supply? 
Well, Waller, they have the environmental control system in the command service module powered down to conserve the power. So this means that they're utilizing the, the lunar module environmental control system. Now, the lithium hydroxide canisters that we have in, in the command module take the, the air, the oxygen that's being used in the command module for the, the uh, crew to breathe, and it circulates that through the lithium hydroxide canisters, and it filters out the, the impurities and, and the uh, carbon dioxide. Now, the concern here is the fact that they have the command service module system powered down, whether the LEM lithium hydroxide canisters will do this job. Now, uh, I don't think this is a problem yet, but they'll probably be keeping a very close watch on the amount of carbon dioxide that they're building up in the cabin to see if it is a problem. So, Leo, are these, to, as I remember, I'm not sure of this, are the canisters interchangeable where you can use the command module canisters in the LEM? That was the inference that McDivitt made. Yes, I don't think it's a problem with the mm. number of canisters, uh, Wally. I think it's just the capacity of the LEM system. The LEM system was designed for two people, and we have three people surviving on it. Yeah, but uh, McDivitt also made the point, and I don't think you were up with this at the time, that there's more than enough oxygen to supply this uh, requirement that they had. I believe he said six, four, uh, four forty-eight six, pounds. Forty-eight pounds, and uh, six, plenty of oxygen for depressurization. So the only constraint then would be to clear out the impurities, the carbon dioxide. That's right. There's no shortage of oxygen. No. It's, the problem is uh, scrubbing it through the lithium hydroxide yeah. system. Yeah. And this, of course, is done with uh, an electrically driven compressor, which drives the uh, used gas uh, through the canisters, which has some back pressure, much like a little vacuum cleaner. Uh, and as a result, the back end of the vacuum cleaner gives you clean, uh, cleaned out gas that so you've taken, you've literally removed the carbon dioxide and water and uh, impurities. So their, their concern is not with the amount of oxygen on hand, but uh, that they've got enough battery power there to, to run that fan. To run the fans mm -hmm. and run the, the oxygen back through the, the air, back through the uh, lithium hydroxide containers. All right, now, another question here on this uh, matter, the passive thermal control mode. Uh, the, uh, uh, as we know, uh, all of you out there who have followed these flights in the past, and I assume most of you have, in going out to the moon and back because there's a, a temperature of, what is it, 450 minus or a plus, depending on whether you're on the sunny or the shadow side of the sun, uh, the, you can't stay in one position too long or you bake on one side and freeze on the other. So they turn the spacecraft around slowly, one revolution and, uh, an hour, I guess it is, isn't it? Or it's, uh, three degrees a second. Three yeah. degrees a second. Uh, so that's one an hour, 360 and 60. Mm -hmm. One a minute, 60, uh, 60 minutes. So it's a, uh, uh, well, anyway, they need the, the, uh, uh, RCS system, those little jets, to do that job. They can use these little ones on the, uh, well there's of course our display of the rotary or rotisserie mode as you can see on the screen or I guess I'd like to call it the barbecue mode. It always confuses me to call it the rotisserie mode. But that way you end up uh, heating and cooling the opposite sides of the vehicle so you have a universal heat path through it. But now you can use the same, uh, you can use the thrusters on the limb to start this motion, and it's really a coasting motion. Uh, we haven't we haven't done that one either, by the way, Leo, uh, in the simulation that I recall. We've used the uh, command service module combination to set this up. Yeah, so that's one of the problems that uh, Jim Lovell was reporting on, is that when he was trying to use the, 
reaction control systems of the lunar module to uh, fly the to whole fly thing. the vehicle. Yeah. He was getting some cross coupling because the center of mass is offset from here. What do you mean by cross coupling, Lou? Well, when he would go yeah. to put in a a pitch maneuver or a roll maneuver, he would couple into a yaw at the same time because uh, the engines are designed to operate this vehicle here with the center of mass associated with no. these rockets. Now, when you're trying to fire these engines to control this whole mass, your, your, your center of gravity is offset, so you don't get a pure control movement when you fire a, a jet. Well, that's very interesting because what they're talking about, uh, they, they mentioned there, was yes. jettisoning jettisoning the mm -hmm. service module, which isn't doing them any good at the moment, apparently. Intuitively, and, uh, I like that idea, but uh, we, we, haven't, we haven't simulated this configuration. But uh, now you've removed this large mass, uh, and it appears it's not usable, it's just along for the ride. It does two things for you. It gives you less uh, total system to accelerate with this descent propulsion system, which is the engine we'll use in the back of the moon as you heard Sig Schilberg describing it. Uh, the other thing is that uh, these thrusters that you see in these areas that do uh, uh, give an attitude change don't have as much cross-coupling as Leo said. Now you have to drive uh, this thrusters long to make this whole stack move. Mm -hmm. You just move, uh, you're basically moving the limb and this little bit of an ice cream cone is going along with you, which is all you need to come home. But there's no reason to throw this away until that decision is made that this is no longer usable. Well, this possibility was discussed, but uh, as it was pointed out, we have done descent propulsion engine burns in a dock configuration. Jim McDivitt did this on Apollo 9, as a matter mm -hmm. of fact. But there has been no flight testing done uh, with the descent engine firing with the service module separated. So I imagine the NASA uh, people are looking into this very closely. And uh, as, as they mentioned in the press conference, they're busy right now doing some simulations and uh, I'm sure that these people will rapidly get on top of this problem and come up with some good configuration changes and some procedures for these people. Leo, you didn't look too happy as Wally was describing that. Uh, do you yourself have some doubts about it or as a test engineer would you not like to try it uh, without uh, in-flight testing first? Well, I think we always like to have in-flight testing to verify it, but sometimes it's not feasible to do this. But uh, I'm sure that the NASA people back at Houston are looking into this right now, and uh, they probably will verify on their simulations and uh, make an analytical examination of this possibility. Let's see if I have more technical questions for you, uh, Leo, going back through the, uh, the notes that I made during the uh, recent news conference. Uh, I don't think I have. It's, uh, they've talked about having no problem separating. I guess that's perfectly clear what... The what, what needs to be done. They have to, uh, each of these stages has to be jettisoned uh, before they can finally re-enter. Only that little command module uh, finally gets, can, can come back in. If anything else is attached on there, the dynamics, uh, thermal dynamics, are all wrong uh, and it, it just won't work. Uh, it literally would burn up uh, in space. There's a heat shield uh, built onto that command module on the flat side of it to, to get the uh, the men back safely, and uh, there's no other way to do it. Well, there are to be free. There are some gee whiz things that could be discussed. The uh, typical separation routine uh, requires the thrusters on the service module, for example, to draw it away from the command module. Although this just adds uh, safety to the separation maneuver. In the same light, the limb, when it's separated from the command service module, is 
literally flown away, accelerated away, so that it too is on a separate flight path. So these kind of what if or gee whiz statements will uh, cause a little bit of midnight oil burning. Of course, we're burning some ourselves at Mission Control Center, but they're all within uh, the capability of what we have here. So I'm not really worried about it, just in case of consideration is required. Now they're they're talking about right now. Uh, uh, Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes are in the lunar module, uh, and Jack Swigert is in the command module. And uh, it was suggested by McDivitt, that, uh, I think maybe Kraft, that they would probably, uh, two of them would probably stay in the command module, asleep in the command module, with one remaining on duty in the lunar module. Uh, it will be their configuration for living for the next four days. I think Chris was making a, a guess and he made that point clear himself. Uh, one thing for sure I'll say, if I were in command of the mission at this point, there would be one man awake all the time. Uh, this is what we call an emergency mode and it's like general quarters or battle stations. You can't afford to let this run on its own anymore as we had developed it uh, in the last few missions where all three crewmen slept simultaneously. In this case, one will have to be on watch. Now where the watch station is obviously the only thing that's working is the limb, so the command module might be the sleep house. Yeah. I'm sure they won't all be yeah. sleeping at the same time. No, I'm sure all three are going to have trouble getting to sleep at this point. Gentlemen, we're going to pause now. Five seconds for station identification. <coughs> review for you quickly now what has transpired this evening. The flight of Apollo 13, man's fifth trip to the moon and his, what was to have been his third landing attempt, was going splendidly tonight when just about 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, four hours and 17 minutes ago, and it seems like a, the longest four hours and 17 minutes we've had around here in some time. Must have felt the same way in Houston up there in the command ship. But at that time, Around 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time tonight, something happened aboard the Apollo 13. It is not known yet uh, just what happened. Perhaps it was hit by a meteoroid. Perhaps there was an explosion. At any rate, the electrical power supply for the command module, service module, and for the mission, indeed, uh, went out. Uh, that electrical supply is furnished by three fuel cells, so-called. Liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen uh, are combined, and they, uh, that chemical combination supplies electricity. Byproduct is water. Uh, this is the main supply system for the mission. There are alternate supplies of electricity through batteries. Well, this system was hit. It went out with a bang, an explosion, a venting of oxygen from the spacecraft itself. Just suddenly, the men found themselves without power, almost as if their, the fuse had blown. Indeed, that's just the way they reported it. Uh, the first, uh, the one and three fuel cells went out. The third fuel cell, number two, began draining very rapidly. Uh, they took emergency action, shut down all the electrical power they could to conserve what electricity they could, and then it was decided that uh, clearly they could not land on the moon. And uh, mission control and the men in the spaceship began considering instead how they could uh, be sure to get back safely from their mission without landing on the moon.
moon. It was decided that the way to do that, and indeed it's written in the flight plan, would be to use the descent engine propulsion system because they are still joined uh, to the lunar module. So the descent engine of the lunar module operating on its own battery power supply independent of the fuel cells will be used to provide a, enough boost to swing the command ship uh, and the lunar modules connected to it around the moon and back on a trajectory toward Earth. This all now means no moon landing, but would mean a safe return on Friday uh, in the Pacific Ocean. It is believed they have enough uh, oxygen aboard, enough uh, water, they of course have the food aboard, uh, and uh, enough power to do all of the necessary maneuvers for that successful landing in the Pacific on Friday around 12.13 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time is the calculation now. If it should turn out that they begin to run short of some of those consumables that they find so essential to life, indeed, they would come back in the Atlantic. And that can be done getting them down about, oh, nine hours earlier uh, than otherwise. They could land in the Atlantic, although that is a contingency landing area, not a prime one. The ship waiting for them, the Iwo Jima, is out in the Pacific. There are no ships in the, in the Atlantic, uh, but uh, the Coast Guard is working on getting something down there now and is surveying the available uh, uh, surface craft to see what can be done. The situation is certainly critical. It's been called as serious a one as we've ever had in space, but uh, the officials at Houston say their chances are excellent of getting back safely, and the situation is safe at the moment. The next critical time will come if all continues to go well now, no other major malfunctions, uh, tomorrow night around 9.30 p.m. when they fire that descent propulsion system engine uh, to put them in a proper trajectory to come back to Earth. Bruce Morton has a report now for us from the Manned Spacecraft Center in Houston. Bruce? Well, Mr. Leo Krupp was talking a few moments ago about the efforts here to uh, work out alternate solutions in the simulators. It's so foggy outside, you can see the cars getting interesting control astronauts, trajectory atlas, uh, everyone coming in as soon as he heard the word. And in fact, the Apollo 13 backup crew, we learned, is now in the simulation. off some of the possibilities that we have considered. Among them, of course, Ken Langley, the man who was to have made the trip. Uh, we've been talking here with some of the people from Patton Whitney who make fuel cells. They are as powerful as everyone else by what happened. Uh, People mentioned explosion, people mentioned meteorite, uh, the Pratt Whitney engineers, uh, so they just don't understand what went wrong with the system. They uh, can't find anything that points to a malfunction in the fuel cell itself, but they uh, didn't really have another explanation either. Uh, Vice President Agnew, who was to have made a visit here tomorrow, has canceled that now. Uh, presumably on the theory that this is an emergency, that everybody's working hard, but it really isn't the day for a ceremonial kind of visit. Uh, one other argument against the Atlantic landing that's being made here, coming back, uh, or I should say through ground last time, uh, if they go to the Atlantic, it comes out uh, to about 133 hours into the flight, which is about 3 in the morning Eastern Standard Time, which means they'd be coming down in a part of the Atlantic where probably there won't be any ships waiting for them. And uh, they have to do it at night, which makes, uh, obviously, landing much more difficult. They can't see where they're going well, and uh, the aircraft, the ships uh, they're looking for, they have a hard time spending them. There are two C-1s the aircraft on Ascension Island, which would be out uh, off in case of an Atlantic landing, but uh, 
doing it at night would certainly make it a whole lot tougher, and obviously NASA would prefer to wait for the Pacific. I have just one note about the families. Uh, Mrs. Lovell is home with her children, all of them all of them listening to hear ground conversation, which is always, as you know, pipe to the astronauts' homes. Uh, Mrs. Brad Hayes is home, too. She's had some advice about what's going on from two astronaut guests, Neil Armstrong and Helen Bean. Walter. That uh, uh, Jack Swigert's parents, you know, he is a bachelor, one of the three in the space program. Interestingly enough, Ken Mattingly, the man whose position he took in the last day before the flight because of Mattingly's exposure to German measles, was Swigert's parents out in uh, Denver uh, heard the news tonight and reported that they were very worried, that they were stunned by the news, but uh, they, according to a NASA spokesman who rushed to their house shortly after the news came through, said they're taking it very well. They realize that there's a problem and that everything possible is being done for the crew's safety. Uh, in their efforts to use as little electrical power as possible, the crew may turn off their lunar module primary guidance system. Uh, Mission Control have made the suggestion. And it quickly added that the decision shouldn't be based on whether or not Lovell and Hayes can see that, uh, so can set that guidance system back up at a later time. If they find they cannot reset it, they'll leave it on so that the electronic brain can continue to maintain a, an accurate calculation of the spacecraft's position. Uh, this matter of communications may be uh, somewhat critical, too. Uh, Fred Hayes uh, reported just a few moments ago that the quality of communications with the ground is varying greatly from good to poor. Uh, I uh, suppose that uh, is because they have turned down their high-gain antenna, uh, which takes quite a lot of power, and are using uh, the low-gain antenna, which uh, uh, does not take as much, and uh, perhaps they are, I don't know whether they're in touch with Goldstone, which has the big dish uh, to receive them and transmit, which is uh, quite a lot uh, more powerful. It takes a certain amount of power, and if you put it in the ground, you don't have to put it in the spacecraft, I suppose. Uh, in, in a certain balance at any rate, but they are, they may have some communications problems, and we've had the first indication of it from Fred Hayes. Uh, how, how critical is ground communication, uh, Wally and, uh, and Leo? I, I know obviously they, they want it uh, for all of the information that they can get from all the engineers and computers on the ground, but is it, is it critical? Can they, can they do all this on their own if they had to? Uh, they're going to need a lot of help on this one. The uh, ground communication in this case, I think, will be required in that the onboard computer of the LEM, which McDivitt made note of, but didn't make a big note of it, is, is not designed for flight between Earth and the Moon. It's designed for flight around the Moon. You can only store so much data in a computer memory bank, if I can describe it that way. So it was optimized, of course, to fly around the Moon. Therefore, uh, well, we'll hear more about what its capability is. The ground can inform them, for example, what precise attitude to put the vehicle in using the LEM guidance system. Uh, really what you talk about in the uh, navigation of these vehicles is an attitude rather than where it is. And it's a celestial attitude. When that descent engine has to be burned, it has to be in exactly the right attitude. The engine has to be burned for exactly the right amount of time to change its velocity a precise amount. So these uh, these things I think we'll find will be talked through from the ground. Now, I'm, I'm quite sure you're right about the choice of antennas. The attitude of the vehicle, in turn, uh, affects the communication. So 
there are enough variables here that they can work that out. At the Grumman Aerospace Corporation of Bethpage, Long Island, Chief Test Pilot Scott McLeod standing by, and Scott can fill us in on how the LEM systems are performing, just what they're probably doing in the LEM right now. Scott? Well, uh, if I could, I'd like to make a few positive comments on probably what they are going to do or what we're prepared to do. First, the dips burn, the descent propulsion system of the LEM, we have practiced this numerous times in the LEM, in the LEM simulators, and I'm sure as you recall in LEM 3, this was performed in Earth orbit by Jim McDivitt and Rusty Schweiker. So this is no new thing really to the LEM. We have been practicing it uh, a number of times. In addition, I think there's some concern about the oxygen remaining. <clears throat> The LEM has roughly, I think, about 45 hours of oxygen. And in addition, if we don't go out on the two lunar walks and therefore don't dump our cabin pressure, we have, oh, I'd say about 48 hours worth of additional oxygen. So I don't anticipate this to be a large problem either. Uh, aligning our, our attitude gyros in LEM uh, setting the eight ball up and aligning the IMU again can be done with assistance from Miss Finn and by star sighting. So I think the situation really is well in hand by the crew that's up there. Thank you, Scott. Uh, do you have any idea what they would be doing up there right now? Or what, just, just what they're up to? Well, let's see. Probably, at this time, they have uh, aligned their IMU. I hope they have better communications than that. Pardon? Uh, Scott, uh, yeah. I don't know if you can hear me. Nod your head if you can hear me. Yes, I can. Well, I can't hear you, which <laughs> may be because uh, your attitude is such that your, uh, that your antenna is out of line with us. Possibly <laughs> so. There you are. Now you're back. Uh, we missed the, the answer to the to my question about whether you had any idea what they're doing right now. At least it didn't come through to us here in the center. Uh, yes, my guess would be that they are, they have or are aligning the IMU and setting up their attitude gyro in preparation for the burn that will take place uh, after they get around the moon. Which is another uh, 19 hours or so from now. I yes. Think. What I'm saying, Walter, is uh, if you didn't hear me, I don't think that there's any great problem or great worry right now on the positive side of things. Well, we're glad to have that from you, Scott. I think we're getting that kind of encouraging report from, from several sources, including uh, the fellows down in Houston. Uh, Wally Sherraw had a question or a comment to make to you. Uh, Wally? Uh, Scott, what I had heard uh, as a report from Jim Lovell... The uh, windows had some debris on them, and I think you should point out over your head there the optical sighting device that's used for the alignment, that the windows are merely used to get initial attitude reference, and then the precise measurements are done through the telescope. Can you point that out for us there? Green, this is the AOT, the alignment well, what he's optical telescope. The window is just in back of his head as you see it. 
where we see it. Uh, we've lost uh, audio from you again, uh, uh, but uh, but if you point to these things, Wally will point out what what you're uh, what you're doing. So why don't you just point around at, uh, at these things? Uh, maybe you can lead him. Yeah. Uh, what, what we're looking at there is the uh, uh, AOT or the optical telescope, and it looks something like a periscope to us here, and it's not at all dissimilar. And that uh, device couples into the onboard uh, platform and computer so that they can, in fact, align the system uh, much as they do in the command module. Uh, the windows in vacuum were what they were referring to as the uh, items that had debris on them, and of course there's a window on either side, and Scott's reaching to the other side. If they had debris on them, wouldn't the, uh, wouldn't the telescope have uh, debris on it as well? a very good question. I'm waiting for that answer from Jim Lovell. I suspect we'll uh, find it out that way. Uh, Scott, I, I don't know whether we've got audio with you again or not. Try uh, uh, This simulation is almost too real. This is uh, what we're hearing from Houston. They're having the same sort of problems with the, uh, with the actual spaceship. Uh, uh, if you uh, have, uh, have your voice again, uh, uh, well, what's your answer to that? Do you think that the telescope would likely be interfered with if there is debris on the windows as well? If you can read me, uh, I'm not familiar with the debris problem. Uh, I don't know where it came from. There is an eye guard that's located on the eyepiece of the telescope, but it's, uh, I doubt that it would take any debris off. Can you hear me? Side the, the debris apparently is outside the spacecraft. Uh, they said it seemed to have come from the initial uh, uh, problem, whatever they had, the, uh, the earlier venting explosion or whatever. So it's apparently outside on the windows. But at least I guess we're, we're going to have to wait till we get that question answered from Houston and from Jim Lovell himself, who must be in touch with uh, Houston about the, the matter. It's unfortunate. The Navy says it has no ships in the Atlantic recovery area. The Coast Guard is continuing its check of merchant uh, marine ships to see if there's anything uh, down there. They would uh, they would have uh, three days, four days almost to get there uh, till Friday morning early, and uh, and that is a busy uh, merchant marine area certainly along the coast of, uh, of South America and between South America and Europe and West Africa. So uh, the, the, the real problem of getting a ship there of some nature uh, with four days to go I shouldn't think would be that great uh, one. Uh, we, uh, we have a whole, uh, I literally say batch of contingency areas, uh, uh, contingency techniques. Uh, all over the world we have aircraft on alert that can be deployed uh, with paramedics and parachute scuba divers who can go over the side taking survival equipment. And we've really never exercised that large net except on the case where Neil Armstrong and Dave Scott came in uh, way out in the Pacific. In Gemini 8. In Gemini 8. And of course there we had a destroyer near enough and they were picked up quite soon. We don't really need a ship there for the crew. It's a ship to pick up the vehicle. Uh, we could feasibly if the sea state, meaning the surface of the sea isn't too rough, uh, go in there with an amphibian aircraft and pick up the crew so that they wouldn't have to exist in this rather lousy boat. In fact, it's not a very good spacecraft at this point either, but uh, I, I should add, and I'd like to amend that, that the command module apparently is in 
fine condition, so even that uh, shouldn't be a constraint as far as recovery goes. And they, of course, have their raft and uh, survival equipment uh, all there and can spend a great deal of time out on the ocean if, if it's not if too it's rough. required, sure. Uh, uh, to do it. And furthermore, there are rescue aircraft in the area yes. already. Uh, the, the, that contingency is always uh, available. And there are two aircraft uh, based down there that can, can handle that area very, very nicely and are there. But that, that, that's still something to be decided later. Uh, actually, uh, Mission Control has indicated quite clearly at Space Center that they prefer the Pacific landing. And if all goes well, as uh, everyone hopes it will, of course, now, if there are no further emergencies, in other words, where they will come down right where they expected to come down, mm -hmm. just a little south of the equator in mid-Pacific, and that time would be 12.13 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Friday with the moon mission, as we have been reporting to you, now definitely scrubbed. There is no way to go to the moon and still come back safely, so of course they're not going to the moon, that is to the moon's surface. They are on the way to the moon. Uh, it, uh, they do not have the power in that service propulsion system engine to abort the mission before going to the moon now. They were 205,000 miles uh, from uh, uh, Earth when it happened, and here is mission control. kick what we got, but we'd like to uh, get that pings bar down as soon as possible. That'd be after the mid-course. And uh, so how do you feel about uh, making a 16 foot per second burn in 37 minutes? Well, we'll give it a try, Jack, if that's all we got. Uh, at a 16 uh, foot per second dip burn in 37 minutes. Roger, uh, we're working up a pad for it, but uh, we'd want to know uh, what you think about doing it at that time. Well, we'll do it. Can you give us a little bit more time? Okay, Jim, uh, we'd like to get a suggested time from you. Uh, we can figure out a uh, free return maneuver for any time you want to give us. So uh, if you'll uh, give us the time you'd like to shoot for, we'll figure out a pad. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, I think if we have a little bit more time, we want to do it right. Step uh, by one. Okay, Jim, how about uh, 61 hours and 30 minutes? That's an hour and five from now. Okay, we'll do it. We want uh, to be sure we talk back and forth now to make sure we get this burn off right. Affirmed. Okay, in the interim, Jack, uh, I looked around again and I saw that we have a uh, radar and a landing radar uh, heater breaker in. Uh, can I pull those up? Affirmative, pull them both up. And uh, now we want to ask you a question about uh, alignments and so forth. We wanted to know if you can uh, see any stars out of the AOT.
We also wanted to know if you could uh, use the service module to cast a shadow on the limb windows and then look out the windows to see stars for P-51, COAS alignment. Okay, in this attitude, Jack, that uh, we're pitching around, uh, I cannot use the AOT to see stars. We, uh, we're just not able to see them at all. Now, we may be able to maneuver off and yaw or and or roll at these stars. Right now, we haven't been able to. The AOT is useless. The uh, command module uh, structure is just radiating too much light into the, uh, into the uh, telescope. Okay, and uh, how about uh, using the service module to cast a shadow on the uh, commander's window? Uh, if you do that, can you see stars for COAS alignment? We can give that a try, uh, uh, Jack, uh, although I don't know how successful it will be. Uh, we try to do it. The light shines off our uh, quads, which makes it difficult to see stars. We do have the uh, Earth and Moon, if that could be of assistance. Another problem uh, right now, Jack, I'm looking out the right window, and it's uh, pretty uh, dark out that window, but there are about uh, a thousand or so false stars out here from uh, leftover from uh, some of the debris. It's uh, hard to discern what's real and not real. Okay, that's uh, good information, and uh, during the time that we see your... Uh continuing to pitch, if you ever get in a position where you think the AOT might be of some use, uh, we'd like you to periodically uh, look out of it and uh, see if you can see some stars that would enable us to get a P-52. Okay, will do, and also, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, in this configuration, Doc, we have to use the TTCA to control pitch and roll. And, uh, just how much can we use that without really changing our trajectory? Uh, we only have 60 miles to play with. Roger, uh, we'll put that to him. Okay, uh, Jack, are you ready to go to work with me on the uh, two-hour dips uh, activation and uh, contingency book page one? Roger, uh, we're ready to go. Okay, uh, item one, uh, we can, uh, one through five, we can scratch off as done. Is that correct? Stand by one, Fred.
Okay, Fred, let's go ahead. Step one, page one. Everybody's listening. Okay, I've uh, looked around and uh, I've uh, essentially done uh, steps one through five uh, with the exception of floodlights and utility lights, and I think we'll just do without those. Roger, your choice. Okay, on EPS activation, uh, we're through uh, step, uh, we're through that bottom of that page. That's all done. We concur, page two. They're going through their checklist now, I, I take it, of things to get ready okay, for this. Okay, in uh, essence, uh, we've uh, circumvented uh, uh, step four, and, and we're now sitting with all seems four acts. I gather uh, uh, on why uh, it's uh, so it a matter of, the, of uh, being able to see the stars to get uh, right on for this burn we that they want to leave in for, uh, one circuit sort of mid-course direction in another hour unless they can get lined up, uh, see the stars right to, to properly be aligned, well, they can't make the burn again. Well, this has been our so-called controversy since we've started this business. Everyone but the astronauts keeps telling us that we can see stars in sunlight, and we say we can't, and uh, they're saying the same thing right now. Now, what you normally can do, that was a suggestion, I think it was sent up by John Young, to try to maneuver the combination of the vehicles uh, uh, so that the limb visual window or the uh, optical telescope, one or the other or both, were in the shadow of the service module, which would then permit the uh, crew for uh, to have dark adaptation to see stars. Well, now, there are two problems. One is that the little quads, as you can see my finger touching here, it's not very large, pick up reflected sunlight and still reflect light into that window. The other is this debris that developed from some kind of structural uh, explosion, as we've heard it, from the service module. This debris has drifted around, uh, sort of has created its own atmosphere around the stack. And part of these particles uh, tend to go along with the vehicle. And this is what we've been talking about, is uh, uh, the small particles of water vapor and other uh, outgassing forms in an, almost an environment around it. And they look like stars as well. So as a result, you, you have trouble discerning what is a star and what is a particle. Unless you see motion, of course, the stars don't move, so then you know it's a particle. Well, all of this confuses one when you try to find a star field. Now, is there, is there no power, no ba backup battery power in the command module uh, to permit the use of the, the normal uh, uh, guidance uh, computations, uh, guidance machinery to, to it, do it, this it, job? Oh, no, it's all there, but that, that is in reserve for the reentry phase. And the uh, ideal way to reenter, of course, is to have that uh, inertial platform, which is sort of like your attitude reference system, uh, powered up and oriented, I guess is a good way of saying it, Leo, and then uh, so oriented that you can use it for automatic guidance for reentry. But we have a total backup to that, which we call the uh, EMS, or the Earth Monitoring, no, Entry Monitoring Entry System. Monitoring system. Right. Now this, this uses an accelerometer, which is not electrically powered in that sense. The, the uh, Entry monitor system requires a scroll to be driven, uh, much like a clockwork mechanism, and a scribe is drawn on it, uh, which the crew can then respond to by acceleration and velocity. And I've flown many of those as a backup, and we all did, to uh, make a reentry in case there's a failure with that 
guidance system in the command module. But to align this whole system from the command module, I think will require too much electrical power from those batteries. They would not want to go back onto the command service module system because this would drain the batteries, which they cannot recharge if the fuel cells are gone. No. So all the, all the alignments should be done, and I think they'll, uh, they've got time. And this 16 foot per second burn, I appreciated Jim Lowell's remark. He wasn't about to try to do that in 37 minutes, and uh, by no means was he arguing. He just was simply stating, look, fellas, let's take more time. So the agreement was to at least wait another hour. Now, as you see, they're going through their checklist. That's another little rule we made uh, back with Apollo 7, was every checklist, every scrap of paper we had on board, an exact duplicate of that was available back in Mission Control Center. The, the backup crew brought that copy back. So every pen and ink change that was made by the crew on board was documented in another set. So they have a master set, and that's why you can hear them say, we concur with what you have on page one, let's go to page two and you don't have to go through each and every little item on the checklist. Which is what they're still doing uh, yes. between Houston and the, uh, and the, and the spaceship uh, right now. They're continuing that when they move on to uh, more understandable matters for us mm -hmm. uh, earthbound uh, uh, laymen. Well, I will go back to hearing some of that conversation with the stricken Apollo 13. Meanwhile, out at Grumman Aircraft, Beth Page, Scott McCloud, Rats can tell us what they will be doing uh, uh, to prepare for and during this burn that is coming up. And I, I might point out again that the, the burn we're talking about is a sort of a mid-course correction. Instead of waiting till they get around the moon in another 19 or so hours from now and burning all at once uh, that uh, descent propulsion system engine to put them on the return trajectory to Earth, they will put some of that uh, increased speed in right now, in another hour or so, and uh, know it's a kind of a test of the descent propulsion system engine for one thing, that they'll know that it's working, that they've got a viable system there, and then they'll put in more of it as they approach the moon or get around the moon. Uh, uh, this shows the descent propulsion system engine working in this docked configuration. Uh, that's that's the way it will look when they fire off that engine uh, in another hour or so. That's interesting that that animation is available. That must have been left over from uh, Apollo 9. Am I impressed? That <laughs> uh, might be. Uh. <laughs> that's the only time we've ever tried to do that, of course, in the program. And that's one of the reasons we had the uh, Earth orbital flights of 7 and 9 was to do just this. These contingency plans had to be tested and worked out in Earth orbit before we got committed to the moon and here we are we're committed to the moon we've got uh, we've got a uh, you know a, a really experienced bunch of men on the ground in Houston John Young was the command uh, module pilot for Apollo 10 which is a, a mission that went to the moon in the dark configuration and did not uh, land and uh, and he's uh, he's now able to advise on this business of trying to put the uh, service uh, module in between uh, the the lunar module and the sun in order to cast a shadow on the windows and give them a chance to see those uh, stars. Now let's go out to Scott McCloud at Grumman and, uh, and now find out uh, from Scott what's going to be taking place in that lunar module in this maneuver. Wilbur, I was watching your model there on the little video I have here and I have the controller that they will use in the vehicle. If you recall, I think Jim mentioned that they would use the TTCA, which is really a translational controller, for pitch and roll control, rather than using an attitude controller. 
If you can see it, this is a translational controller. This is the LEM pilot's translational controller. The commanders, which would probably be used, is behind me, and I don't think you can see it. Let me use my models here. This represents the LEM, if you will. And normally, we would use the RCS, the reaction control system, to give us coupled pitch and roll of the LEM. But when they're coupled together, this being your command module, Leo, on top of the LEM now, in order to get roll of the whole uh, coupled spacecraft, if you use the RCS in translation, like I put my pencil, then the whole thing would pivot about the center of gravity of the entire spacecraft, and it would pitch or roll, depending on how your thrust was. I think this is one point that possibly wasn't too clear when Jim was mentioning it. Thank you, Scott. Reviewing the situation again briefly for any late tuners in, Apollo 13 uh, got into trouble tonight. Things were going uh, well uh, up to uh, 10 o'clock tonight when uh, at, that, uh, at that time uh, there was an explosion of some kind, a meteoroid uh, struck perhaps the uh, uh, spacecraft or an explosion at any rate and it lost its uh, fuel cells and electrical power and uh, now it's not going to be able to land on the moon and uh, we're working out uh, with ground control in Houston the exact maneuvers uh, to bring it back to Earth safely by using the descent propulsion system engine of the lunar module keeping it with them until they get well uh, on the way back home uh, before jettisoning that now useless lunar module ex uh, for useless for a moon landing terribly useful to them right now because of the batteries in the lunar module which are making it possible for them to survive in space and to have the power uh, to come home they will be landing uh, if all the maneuvers go successfully now uh, back in the Pacific on Friday noon Eastern Standard Time. Let's listen now to an audio tape of the astronauts' initial report of the trouble shortly after 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Okay, uh, we've had a problem here. We've had a main B bus undervolt. Roger, main B undervolt. Okay, stand by, 13. We're looking at it. Okay, uh, right now, uh, Houston, the uh, voltage is, uh, is looking good. Uh, and we had a pretty large bang associated with the uh, caution and warning there. And as I recall, BB was the one that uh, had a amp spike on it uh, once before. Roger, Fred. And the interim here, uh, we're starting to uh, go ahead and button up the tunnel again. Roger. That jolt uh, must have rocked uh, uh, the sensor uh, on uh, see now in O2 uh, quantity two. It's uh, was oscillating uh, down around 20 to 60 percent. Now it's full scale high again. Roger. And uh, Houston, we had a restart on our computer. We have pink light and uh, and the restart reset. Roger, restart and a pink light. Restart on a pink okay. reset. And. and uh, and we're looking at our service module RCS helium uh, 1. We have uh, B as barber pole and T as barber pole. Helium 2, B as barber pole. And uh, 
that's the uh, first time you've heard that uh, it is. exchange. <laughs> that that wasn't very happy in my book. I'd, I'd say that they uh, they had some problems. I I was quite interested to hear the fact that they inferred they had almost an explosion. It was quite evident in this thing, and it seemed to be just bandied about in that press conference. Uh, they did note uh, an attitude change. They noted some caution warning lights come on. Uh, these they all mentioned the loud bang, which yes. uh, is very interesting. That is, because to hear that uh, noise come through the structure means that something did happen back there. There's obviously an explosion. There's no doubt in my mind about it now. They also, uh, just uh, shortly after that, reported that they were venting oxygen, and uh, then, then this debris matter came up. Yes. So clearly something uh, something of major nature happened there. No doubt. Uh, explosion or, as was, was suggested in the news conference, uh, the possibility that they were hit by a meteoroid. The uh, space agency officer, Bob McMurray, uh, describing the activity early today in the homes of... Uh, Apollo 13 astronauts uh, Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes said the atmosphere is tense. Everyone's listening to the squawk box and watching television. Squawk box, of course, the uh, little public address uh, amplifier that is brought into the homes of the astronauts when they're on a mission. And uh, we can imagine that things are tense, although we will repeat what uh, Christopher Kraft <coughs> said at the, uh, at the news conference. <coughs> Excuse me. He said that while this is as serious as any problem we've ever had in space, their situation is safe at the moment, and chances are excellent uh, of a safe recovery if the lunar module continues to work well. They are depending on the lunar module now uh, for the battery power to fire its engines uh, to get them uh, out of a, a lunar uh, orbit and back on the way home uh, once they uh, uh, get up that far. Well, they actually wouldn't go into a lunar orbit now. They're not, not on that sort of trajectory. They would go in a looping orbit around the partial orbit around the moon and then back onto a path that would take them between the moon and the Earth. Um, uh, oh, I forget that figure, but 20,000 miles or so. Uh, they'd miss the Earth by on that trajectory, I believe. Uh, I believe it. Hmm? I think it's 50,000 miles. 50,000 miles. It's, it's, it's uh, a fair you know, piece. <laughs> it's a long way. It's, it's right. uh, certainly not that uh, 150 miles or so from which they no. could drop out of Earth orbit uh, back uh, safely. But uh, what they're doing is depending on that lunar module to fire off the descent propulsion system engine to put them back on a safe return trajectory to the Earth. And also they're depending on the lunar module for its oxygen supply uh, to sustain them until they get uh, uh, back uh, on their way back home when they go back on the command module's oxygen supply for re-entry. The present plan is for them to uh, make the first firing of that engine about 45 minutes from now for a, the first uh, initial speed up, just about 16 feet per second, and that's not a great deal, but kind of a mid-course correction is what it amounts to, uh, and then a later burn uh, tomorrow night uh, when they get uh, to the uh, edge of the moon, which will speed them up further to assure this uh, trajectory home. Uh, they uh, uh, return if all... And now, the actual recording from ground control to the astronauts in space. Just minutes before the explosion aboard Apollo 13.
Okay, GNC, you got any configuration items here? Uh, negative flight. Capcom, looks like the last item we uh, need here is a stir on the H2 and O2 at their convenience. Okay. We've got one more item for you when you get a chance. We'd like you to uh, stir up your cryo tanks. In addition, uh, I have a shaft and trunnion okay. for a look at the Comet Bennett if you need it. Okay. Stand by. Flight gun. Go, guys. Uh, we finally got our Delta H update. Uh, do you want to just read it up to the crew or appoint it? Uh, let's see. Now, can we collapse dead bands and do all that good stuff if we uplink here? Uh, yeah. That's why we just read it up to them. Uh, if they enter it through the disky, are they going to do it? Same I want. Yeah, we haven't stabled out in that uh, attitude yet, so I don't think we're going to have any problem. Right, I don't think there's any problem. They haven't opened up dead bands yet. Yeah, that's that's just what I'm saying. The time to do it is now, guys. Flight gun. Go, guys. As long as he's in poo and don't reselect it, uh, he can uh, uplink it or enter it himself, or we can do it either. Doesn't matter. Okay, uh, why don't you, you got to pass the data for the crew checklist anyway on board, don't you? Right. Don't you got a page update? Well, why don't we read it up to them and that'll serve both purposes. All right. Both have mattered as well as want to tell them what page you want it in the checklist. Okay. Flight coming. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, we have a overhead hatch is closed and the uh, heater current looks normal. Okay. Go, guys. We've this had is Houston, say again, please. I don't know what it was. Okay. GNC, you want to look at it? Yeah, Houston, we've had a problem. Roger, we're copying it, Capcom. We see a hard road. Roger, may be underbolt. You see an empty bus underbolt there, guys? Or, uh, ECOM? Negative flight. I believe the crew reported it. We got a main B underbolt. Okay, flight, we've got some instrumentation flights. Let me, let me add them up. Roger. Okay, stand by, 13. We're looking at it. We may have had an instrumentation problem, Flight. Roger. Flight in, Tom. Going, Tom. We switched okay, the Okay, uh, right now, uh, Houston, the uh, voltage is, uh, is looking good, Tom. And we had a pretty large bang associated with the uh, caution and warning there. And as I recall, B was the one that uh, had a amp spike.
hike on it uh, once before. Okay. Roger, Fred. Anko, you say you want the wide beam with there? Yes. Let's see if we can correlate those times. Get the time when you want the wide beam there, Enco. In the interim here, uh, we're starting to uh, okay. go ahead and button up the tunnel again. Roger. Do we have the floodlights on? Yeah, that, that jolt uh, must have rocked uh, we can determine that from uh, the sensor uh, on uh, C-Now and O2 uh, quantity 2. It uh, was oscillating uh, down around 20 to 60 percent. Now it's full scale high again. Roger. And uh, Houston, we had a restart on our computer. We have pink light and uh, and the restart reset. Roger, we copy Roger, that. Roger, restart and a pink light. Restart on a pink okay. reset. And I'm uh, looking at our service module RCS uh, helium one. We have uh, B as barber pole, and D as barber pole, helium 2, D as barber pole, and uh, secondary propellant, so I have uh, A and uh, B barber pole. T-mag temperatures. Okay, AC2 is showing zip. I'm uh, trying to reconfigure on that, Jack. Roger. Econ, you're seeing any AC problems. Looks like we've got a lot of instrumentation problems there. Go ahead. That's He's flipping our fuel cells around, flying. Well, let's get some. Yeah, we got a. Uh, if you got any better ideas? Main bus A undervolt now, too, Sean. Main A undervolt. Cy, what do you want to do? Hold your own. Main B's reading zip right now. Cy, have you got a SIG sensor type problem there or what? Clyde Econ? Go ahead. He's got. Uh, Fuel cells one and three are offline. We've got main A volts. We have no main B volts. I have an attempt to re, uh, reconnect the fuel cells. Fuel cell one to main A. Fuel cell uh, three to main B. Okay. Fuel Let's just cell try that. One back to main A. Fuel cell one. three back to main B. Main A three to main B. Let's see what happens. Okay. Now, is there? Do we have instrumentation problems? Well, we've lost, a, it does appear we've lost AC bus 2 uh, voltage. Main B is reading uh, uh, 4 volts, and that effectively takes AC 2 away from us. Okay. The, uh, yeah, and he reported water poles on the, uh, on the fuel cell on the R2 flight. Let's see if we get a DC back. Go ahead, GNC. Verify that the quad delta helium valves are open. Now, are you seeing an attitude problem, or are you seeing some uh, uh, high levels that are giving you problems? No, it's some low pressures in the, the fuel and oxidizer. Uh, it needs to be symptomatic of the helium valve closing and firing some jets. Quad number two, helium valve open. Quad delta. Quad delta. Helium valve open, right? Right. Capcom, do you want to verify that quad delta helium valve is open, please? Any other problems in the RCS? Okay, uh, is that all we come up with for him? Uh, we got any other recommendations? 
Yeah, we wanted to get fuel cell one configured to main A, fuel cell three to main B. Did you pass that up? Let's attempt that flight. 13 Houston, we'd like you to attempt to reconnect fuel Echo, cell one to main A and fuel cell three to main B. Verify that quad delta is open. We went, went to wide beam with flight at 55, 55, 04, the best okay. we can tell. Okay, uh, Houston, I'm showing, uh, I tried to reset, and uh, fuel cell one and three are both showing uh, gray flags, but they're both showing zip on the flows. I copy flight. We copy. Let me, let me commiserate on that. Flight Econ? Go Econ. Let's reverse the configuration uh, request. Okay, but wait a minute. We got a good main A bus. Let's make sure that whatever we do doesn't screw up main A. Fuel cell 2 is on main A flight. Okay. I'm not going to have to change that. Okay, what do you want to do? Let's try to put fuel cell 1 on main B, fuel cell 3 on main A. We'll use the other uh, sensing circuitry. Fuel cell number 1 on main B, fuel cell 3 on main A. We're not going to touch fuel cell 2 flight. Okay, but if we got any problems in the system, I want to make sure that we don't blow the voltage off main A, and then we're not going to be able to see anything. You got, can we review our status here, Cy, and see what we've got from a standpoint of status? What do you think we got in the spacecraft that's good? Main bus A is reading 25 volts. Okay, main A. And that's reflected by the fact uh, fuel cell 2 is putting out uh, 53 amps, which is just about the most it can and keep our voltage up. Okay. So that's bona fide. AC bus 2 is zero, which is reflected by the fact we lost main B. AC bus. Standby flight. Zero output. Flight econ. Go ahead, Econ. Okay. Uh, if we want to keep my... Okay, Houston, are you still reading 13? Stand by. That's affirmative. Uh, we're reading you. We're uh, trying to come up with some good ideas here for you. Go ahead. I thought I was going to ask you to put a battery on flight. Okay, let me Blurry give you the reading and the interval to help uh, main A uh, voltage jack. Say again, Fred. Omni Bravo. Right. In the interim, to help out main A voltage, I've got uh, main bus tie uh, bad AC on. Uh, I would you rather accept the uh, 25 volts that we're being on main A? Oh, okay, bus tie AC we're on. We've got the 210. You got the 210. Right. Okay, that'll save a bit of power. Capcom, let's recommend selection of Omni Bravo, please. It's Charlie now. Okay, He's Charlie. Charlie. Omni Charlie? Right. 13 Houston, we need Omni Charlie, please. You got it? 
Okay, fly. We've got Omni Charlie and high bit rate. Okay. You have high bit rate now off the two tens, right? On the right. Okay. Flight Ecom? Go Ecom. Okay, let's get a readout on a couple fuel cell pressures here. Okay. Uh, fuel cell 1N2 pressure, fuel cell 3O2 pressure. We're reading 0N2 uh, pressure in fuel cell 1 and 13 PSI on uh, fuel cell 3O2 pressure. Okay, you want fuel cell 1 N2 pressure. N2 pressure. Fuel cell 3, what do you want there? O2 pressure. O2 pressure. Capcom, let's get those as a start. 13 Houston, uh, we'd like you to verify okay, a couple of readings for us. Uh, uh, we'd like the nitrogen pressure on fuel cell 1. Over and, uh, we need the oxygen pressure on fuel cell 2. Still moving. Maybe we ought to stop it. Are we using RCS now, Buck? Okay, nitrogen on 1 and oxygen on 2, is that correct? Negative oxygen on 3. Okay. GNC for flight. GNC for flight. GNC. You can see any problems in quad D helium now. Does that look like that's cleared up? Roger, that's cleared up flight. We're in good shape. Okay. Now, are we using RCS now? That's affirmative. We're going to have to switch the thrusters over to main A to pull the attitude here. Okay. Uh, how much RCS we use? Oh, we've used... Uh, okay. System uh, test uh, 1A. Okay, give me a minimum fuel usage configuration that'll keep me out of food. Right. I tell you. Go tell me. The LEM heater currents become essentially static. Right. Let's solve one problem at a time. Come back to me later on in it. And uh, two Baker, which is uh, three oxygen, uh, says 0.6. Two Baker says uh, 0.6, and uh, say again the other one. I need that RCS stuff as soon as you can get it. Dodge flight, he's turned off all jets now. Okay. Okay, uh, we came up with those numbers, flight. Okay, Cy, give me your next best thing to try. Ecom, flight. Flight Ecom. Go ahead. Uh, why don't we try to leave fuel cell two alone and just make sure that one and three are disconnected from both buses and make sure that there won't be any load on them at all. And let's see what happens to those cells. Okay, Barrett, what do you want to do? Open circuit fuel cell one and three? That's from flight. Okay. Capcom, let's recommend we open circuit fuel cell number one and number three and leave fuel cell number two as is. Okay, one and three open circuit two as is, and uh, earlier got a report from them that uh, 
One three, we're reading uh, gray, but zero flow. Yeah, Capcom, let's amend that. Ecom from flight. Flight Ecom. Why don't we just open circuit one and make sure that we don't have any problems getting that back onto the bus. Okay, just watch it for a while before we make any further moves with three. Roger. Okay, Capcom, let's just open circuit one of those right now. 13 Houston, we'd like you to open circuit fuel cell one. Leave two and three as is. Okay, I'll get to work on that. And uh, Jack, uh, our O2 quantity uh, number two tank is being filled. Did you get that? O2 quantity number two is that's zero. That's easy, okay. Roger. Yeah, that's, that's a good AC. And it looks to me, looking out the uh, hatch, that we are venting something. Crew thinks they're venting something. We are, uh, we are venting something out uh, into the uh, into space. Roger, we copy your venting. It's a gas Okay, let's everybody think of the kind of things we'd be venting. GNC, you got anything that looks abnormal in your system? Negative light. How about you, Ecom? You see anything that, uh, with the instrumentation you got that could be venting? Okay, uh, fuel cell one, you just wanted uh, off the line now, Jack, is that right? We just wanted you uh, to open the circuit, circuit fuel cell right? one. Okay, she's off the line. Let me look at the system as far as the venting is concerned. Okay, let's start scanning. I assume you've called in your backup ECOM? ECOM? Flight, say again. Have you called in your backup ECOMs now? See if we can get some more brain power in this we thing. We got one here. Roger. Flight in, go. Go ahead and call. Uh, he's, never mind, he's serving us a little bit. Okay. Everybody keep cool. We got the uh, lens still attached. The lens spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a lens to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system. So we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. It's Apollo Control, Houston. Um, this rapid exchange of conversation you've heard, uh, may the main B bus uh, is off the line. Uh, fuel cells one and three also off the line. Uh, fuel cell two is presently on the line. We now show 13 at an altitude of 178,000. 643 nautical miles. Go, We're at 56 hours, 12 minutes into the flight. You you need okay. Give them to me. Okay, Charlie 3, Charlie 4 to main A. Bravo 3 and Bravo 4 to main A. Charlie 1 and Charlie 2 to main A. Stand by. It's all a quad Charlie on main A. Okay. 
plus Bravo 3 and Bravo 4. Uh, what are we going to be doing with these, GNC? Yeah, that'll give us one jet in each direction on each axis. Okay. Flight guidance. Go guide. He's getting close to Jim Willock. Capcom. Okay, Capcom recommend he bring up C3, C4. B3, B4, C1, C2, and main A, and advise him he's getting close to Gimbal Lock. 13 Houston, uh, we see you getting close to Gimbal Lock there. We'd like you to uh, bring up all quad C's on main A, quad C1, C2, C3, C4 on main A, and also bring B3 and B4 up on main A. Well, it's going to take a while before we get to the point where we're even thinking of a P-52. Yeah, it'll course the line itself there, won't it? 13 Houston, you read? It'll course the line at 85 right. itself. Yeah, we got it. Over. Okay, can you tell us anything about the venting, uh, okay. where it's coming from? Uh, what window you see it at? It's coming out of window one right now, Jack. And uh, could you give me the thrusters again? Okay, the thrusters. Uh, what what uh, buses? We'd like uh, on main A. We'd like Charlie 1, 2, 3, and 4. Also, Bravo 3 and 4 on main A. Okay, got it. Okay, the reference there uh, is to the uh, reaction flight. control system right. thrusters. We're at 56 uh, hours, 14 minutes now into the flight. Okay, uh, let's go down the emergency 1-5. If you want to power it down, go. let us look at the TM and all that good stuff, and then come back up. That's right. Flight into Omni Bravo. You want Omni Bravo again? Right. On board. Omni Bravo. Capcom, 13, we need Omni Bravo. Omni Bravo. Okay. You want to go to uh, power down, give me the page. Uh, emergency 1-5 flight, we'll go down, uh, try to get a delta of 10 amps redu reduction. Do you want to go through that again? What do you want to power down to? I want to power down uh, a total of 10 amps, like A total of 10 amps. That's right. Okay. Capcom, we'd recommend uh, emergency power down checklist 1-5. We want to power down a total or a delta of 10 amps from where we are now. Flight GNC. Go GNC. Can we afford to do a PTC first and then we shut off all of that stuff with no problem? Uh, why? You think you're going to have a thermal problem here? Well, we could have. Uh, I'll stay there too long. Okay. We? We'll run into that one later, Buck. Okay. I want to get our major problem sorted out now. You want the uh, 1 1-5 down to 1-5 powered down, a uh, delta of 10 amps, Captain. Okay, 13, this is Houston. Uh, we'd like you to uh, go to your uh, GNC checklist, the pink pages, 1-5. Uh, Do uh, power down until we get a delta of 10 amps. Over. All right. Roger. 
on from flying. Still flying. You don't want to get fuel cell pumps off, do you? Optics power is already off, I believe. We can do that on fuel cell number one flight. Okay, well, let's make sure we don't blow the whole mission. Apollo Control, Houston. Um, that last report from uh, Lausma asked the uh, 13 crew to reduce the electrical load on the, the spacecraft. Very Okay, uh, we'd like you to uh, go down that power down procedure until you get a delta of 10 amps, over. Flight econ? Go econ. Oh, Roger, Would you not want to consider going into BTC? Well, why don't we get this problem here resolved right now? We're told uh, eight our power down, I think. Pardon? Should eight our power down. I'd hope. Wouldn't it? Well, do you expect that we're going to be in a thermal problem for the next many hours? Econ? Well, I don't know where Theta Sun is right now, Flight. Well, we're pretty close to Quad A right now. So Apollo we... Control, Houston, uh, Will. Uh, did you copy our uh, power down request? It's between A and B, mostly, on A. All right, Jack, we're uh, yeah, we're right now. Where did you say that was located, Jack? That's in your uh, systems checklist, page 1-5. Control Houston, uh, we repeat again that. You might also check for those pages in your uh, launch checklist. There are uh, emergency pages, pink pages 1 5, and uh, we'd like you to power down and tailgate. Okay, the launch checklist, Jack. Roger, power down until you get a amperage of 10 amps less than what you got now. Try to use any of the equipment on board the spacecraft, such things as CNC, that type stuff, until we nail down what our problem is. Well, that's why I was recommending PTC, because we don't need any of that stuff then, heaters or anything else. Yeah, but you got to get the uh, CNC on. Apollo Control, Houston, uh, we repeat again the, uh, that uh, precise period of time main uh, bus B on the uh, command and service module is now off the line. They're functioning with main bus A. Fuel cells one and three uh, connected uh, with bus B are now off the line. Reviewing the data, and it get us back into the uh, as close to the normal flight plan as we could. Uh, how far are we out of attitude right now? Uh, he's a fairways out right now, flight. He's do another bird 49 and fly back and then stabilize there.
flight econ? This is a go econ. Okay, I need one thing right now. He's powering down. He's down to 41 uh, amps total spacecraft. I'd like to get uh, my AC2 bus back so I can look at O2 tank 2 pressure. I have no insight into that. Okay. Let's get, uh, I guess we can put the inverter uh, 3 to main A, AC2. And then Let me we'll ask just you do a temporarily. Before you do that, would you like to make sure you got all AC loads you don't need isolated from the bus? Nah, let's not do that right now, Flight. I think we're in good shape that way. The main A is up high enough where it can handle the inverter. Well, the thing that concerns me is starting is throwing equipment. We, we had a problem. We don't know the cause of the problem. Flight, I've got a feeling we've lost two fuel cells. I hate to put it that way, but... Uh, I don't know why we've lost them. It doesn't all tag up. And it's not an instrumentation problem. The best I can tell right now. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's discuss this for just a little bit longer there, Cy. Capcom, start them moving back towards the PTC attitude. Okay, let's start exactly going happy with the rate capping. I feel it's going to be a relatively long period of time to try and nail down the problem. Go ahead. He's asking, uh, how do we like his... Uh, okay, Jack, and right on now? this uh, page 1-5, we're proceeding right with the right double is all the way down. We're right now at B-Mag number 2 is in warm-up. Roger, we copy B-Mag 2 in warm-up. We'll follow you through. Go ahead. I'd like to put him to secure the high gain before he starts in. Okay, and uh, something is uh, giving us the rates, Jack, both in pitch and roll. So I'm suspecting that maybe it's whatever it is that's venting back there. I've had to use uh, direct in order to stabilize this, and as soon as I do, we're starting to pick up rates again. Can you pick up any jet firing? Stand by. GNC, what's firing now? You got something firing? Well, we've seen fire. What direction are your rates in, Jack? Okay, I guess this kills the PTC, too, because we're not going to get into PTC as long as we've got something venting. It's negative pitch. Negative roll. Roger, flight, that agrees. Roger. Flight Econ. Go Econ. Uh, I got a little correction. Let's put inverter one on both AC buses, please. Inverter one on both AC. Confirm. So I can get some uh, AC bus power back, so I can have some insight into my uh, AC bus two telemetry, especially in my clouds. Maybe the venting may be coming from that. Uh, and also, I think that the uh, fuel cell two pumps are on uh, AC2, and this will take care of it without switching the pumps yet. Say that again. You think your fuel cell pumps? Yeah, fuel cell 2 pumps, I think, are on AC2. Okay, but power. according to the checklist, he should have powered, he should have turned those off, right? Oh, he said he was down to BMAG number 2 is in warm-up, so he's already gone through the fuel okay. cell pump stuff. Good enough. Okay, so uh, you want to configure inverter 1 on both AC buses. That's the current flight. Uh, flight, I didn't, uh, I was listening uh, to the spacecraft uh, and I didn't pass up inverter 3 to main A to AC2. Did you uh, delete that? Yeah, we deleted that. some more uh, instrumentation up. Uh, we'd like you to put the inverter yeah, one on both AC buses. Over. Monitor this when we switch it in. Okay. 
Helm you and control some flights. Go flight. Will you take a look at go your fly. pre launch data yeah, okay, and go you through your system to see if there's anything uh, you've got that may have started standing here? Roger, flat. Okay, and I want to report on that in about the next 15 minutes. Quick look type stuff. Okay. Flight final. Go final. We're definitely seeing a vent in the data. Okay. And, uh, Jack, uh, one of the items that we turned off was the, uh, all the fuel cell pumps. Roger. We copied that. Jack. Okay, and you might, uh, let us know, uh, when uh, fuel cell 2 needs its, uh, pump back. We ought to take care of that guy. Fuel cell flight econ? Roger. Uh, fuel cell 2 pumps to AC-1. You want fuel cell 2 pumps to AC-1. Affirmative. Capcom fuel cell 2 pumps to AC-1. Okay, Fred, we want, uh, fuel cell 2 pumps to AC-1, please. Have you got anybody getting a log in this thing downstairs? Network from flight. Flight network. Bring me up another computer in the RTCC, will you? Uh, we got uh, one machine on the RTCC and we got dual CPs downstairs. Okay, I want another machine up in the RTCC and I want a bunch of guys capable of running D logs down there. Roger that. Flight, did you hear him say he's getting uh, some rates? We want to know what these uh, firing any pressures. Rod, CNC, watch those thrusters, will you? CNC, say again. Uh, do you got any thrusters firing? Uh, we're looking at that C3 thruster flight. It looks like it stays on most of the time. Well, can we turn them all off and see if we still got the rates or any buildup in rates? Well, the rate that we're seeing is opposite to the direction of that thruster, so if anything, it's just trying to hold and not quite up to it. Okay, but he's been trying to counteract the rates with direct. He's been getting a uh, negative pitch in a negative roll. Okay. But he asked if we were getting some uh, thruster firings uh, that were not being made by him. I'll tell you what, uh, GNC, can you get somebody in the back room to try to figure out what the equivalent delta V is we're getting uh, so that we can see if we can backtrack to see if we can figure out what's betting. In other words, it would seem we could equate that to effective thrust and an axis and then deduce what's venting. Roger, we'll give it a try, Flight. Okay. And that might be of interest to the LEM guys. He also said it was coming uh, past window number one. Flight, Roger, we got that. Need Omni Charlie. Omni Charlie, Capcom. Omni Charlie, please, 13. Ecom from Flight, what did, uh... Omni Charlie. Okay, you got two good AC buses. What did all that tell you now? It's... It tells me that, uh, well, just give me about two more minutes, right? Okay, take your time. Okay, 13, uh, we've got lots and lots of people working on this. We'll get you some uh, dope as soon as we have it, and uh, you'll be the first one to know. Oh, thank you.
Go, Fado. Two machines in the RTC thing. Okay. Go GNC. We would like to turn uh, thruster Alpha 3 on main A and see if that will help control that pitch. And at the same time, we can turn off Charlie 3. Okay, give me some real-time plotting on how we're using our CS here, will you? Garage flight. Uh, in the pitch axis, we really don't seem to be using any, and that's why I would like to go to Alpha and see if that changes it any. Okay, now what do you want again? Thruster Alpha 3 to main A. Alpha 3 to main A. Capcom, do you want to pass that up to the crew, please? 13, we'd like to have you put uh, thruster Alpha 3 on main A, please. Give me a gross amount of RCS propellant consumed so far. Alpha 3 on main A. TNC. Roger, fly. Okay, Jack, uh, okay. are you monitoring the quad temps and uh, quad A? Package temps? That's affirmative flight. We're still below the limits. Flight Ecom. So Ecom. Uh, we've really got to get that battery off the line and power down some more. And uh, we've got to get the main B power back so we can uh, build our pressure back up in O2 tank 1. It's uh, down to 318 PSI. See, with battery. main B down, we have, no, uh, we have no heaters in O2 tanks. 
Hey, what do you want to power down? Well, where do you say you got down to? BMAG 2 off? Not inclusive? That's affirmative. BMAG 2 is in warm-up. I think we'll go ahead and turn that down. We have, still have the limb with us, right? That's affirmative. So, uh, if we shut down the SCS, we ought to be a little better off, perhaps. I think we ought to press on and go down through BMAG 2 off and get those lights minimum. Okay. How much do you want to power down another 10 amps? Let's go get the BMAG off and get the lights down to a minimum. Let's go down two more steps. Okay, Capcom, we want to power down a little bit more. We want to get the BMAG off and lights minimum there. 13, this is Houston. Uh, we'd like to power down just a little bit more, so uh, let's get BMAG 2 off and uh, make sure your lights are down. Over. Okay, the lights are down, and BMAG 2 is going from the standby to off. Okay, Cy. Now, how long... The uh, BMAG is part of the uh, SCS system on the Apollo command module. Of course, we're still attached to the lunar module, so this is less of a crucial item to power down at this time. I don't believe so. We're at 56 hours, 34 minutes into the flight, continuing to monitor this as Apollo control Houston. Miles, take this open circuit fuel cell Open circuit fuel cell three. Get it off the bus. 13 Houston, okay, we'd like Jack, you to I've got a fuel cell 3. Calling flight Megan. 15 flight. Go ahead. It was used a total of about 7 pounds. Uh, we'd like ahead, to Jack. change the jet configuration and see if that'll help us out. Okay, what do you want to try now? We would like to turn okay, the fuel cell 3 and off the line. All delta to main A. Turn all Bravo off and Delta to main A, right? Right, they'll verify that it isn't a Bravo thrust that is causing the problems in editors. Okay, CAPCOM, we'd like to turn all Bravo jets off and all Delta jets to main A. Roger. Flight Econ. Go Econ. Uh, uh, 13 Houston, we'd like you to uh, turn all your Port Bravo C, thrusters uh, off and put all your Delta thrusters on main A, please. That's that's firm flight. Okay, we'll all worry about one final two. All Delta thrusters on main A and all Bravo thrusters off, Roger. Say again, flight. Okay, you want to? I want to save the battery flight. Okay. See, what battery have we got online, sir? Say again. What battery have we got online? Battery Alpha flight. Battery A, okay. Now the next step, of course, we'll uh, then think we got to worry about getting some power on main B to get the pressure back up in O2 tank 1. Roger. Turn battery A off, Capcom. 13 Houston, uh, turn hey, battery hey, A off. Well, That's why we were pulling Battery A off, Roger. Now you have no... Go, you can. Set my slate to search hey, tank also and save it. We use the as much as we can. Uh, say that again. Kill the bus completely. Let's isolate now. the search tank. Why that? Command module. I don't understand that side. I don't want to. I want to use the cryo as much as possible. But that would seem to be the opposite. If you want to keep the fuel cell going, the fuel cells are fed off the uh, the tanks in the service module flight. The search tank is in the command module. We want to save the search tank in between each entry. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Roger. Capcom, let's also isolate the surge tank. 
Okay, you want to isolate the surge tank. Yeah, O2 surge tank, right? Yeah, what we're really doing is securing our entry systems right now. 13 Houston, we'd like you to isolate your O2 surge tank. Over. Thompson flight. Anytime. Did you consider put a battering, uh, battery on uh, bus B long enough to get the pressure up? Well, I'm trying to, I want to determine whether or not the, uh, the, the five amps is going to hurt us any. That's going to be in main A, incidentally, I made a mistake. O2 tank one heaters are in main A. Uh, we got main A with us, haven't we? Econ. Go Econ. Okay, since O2 tank one heaters are on main A and we've got them off now, uh, we'll be able to stand the five amps uh, temporarily uh, for a manual pressurization. Let's uh, have them uh, turn the heaters on manually in O2 tank one. O2 and we'll watch the pressure. Tank one. Okay, we had a service uh, module RCSB light check due to package temperature. Service module RCSB. Flight, we copy that, no problem. No problem. We copy, Capcom. no problem. Capcom, we want to get cryo O2 tank number okay, one. Uh, read on. the lights we got on now. Cryo press, fuel cell one, fuel cell three, main bus B undervolt, super pressure. Roger, we copy them, and uh, we'd like to build up the pressure in uh, O2 tank one, so uh, turn the heaters on manually. We'll watch the pressure for you. You can stand the five amps on main okay, A. Okay, you actually, uh, we're going to get we a main bus A undervolt, probably. Roger, uh, we realize that uh, we feel we can stand here. five more amps on it. Okay. Okay, uh, here, uh, tank one's on. Did you see your five amp increase in current there, Ecom? That's firm flight. Okay. 26.7 volts. Looks good. We'll watch okay. the pressure. Uh, flight, uh, to be consistent, we ought to isolate the uh, repress package also. Okay. You want to isolate repress package. Get one of your guys full-time in the back room keeping track of the spacecraft configuration as we pass it up to the crew. You might use Larry. Why don't you stay on and get Larry in the back room to keep track of configuration stuff we give it to the crew. Okay, fine. Okay. 
And we've got the uh, voice recorder, and we're starting to transcribe that. Okay, now has anybody started the D-log of the initial problem? You've got a D-log going. Have you got people that are going to be in a position to evaluate it? Okay. Tell them you and control from flight. Go flat. Roger, I want Lim Manning around the clock. Roger. Flight Ecom. Go ahead, Ecom. Uh, I want the fans on and uh, O2 tank one. We're not seeing a pressure increase. We can stand it. You can stand it? That's right. Fans on in tank one, right? That's right. Primitive flight. Capcom, do you want to bring the fans on? In That's right, one. flight. Okay. Yeah, he's got an MCW for uh, varied reasons. 13 Houston, uh, we'd like you to additionally bring on the fans in O2 Tank 1, and uh, we can stand the additional amperage on that. Okay, bring up the fans in O2 Tank 1. Flight in. Go ahead, GNC. It looks like the vehicle stabilized considerably over the last few minutes. Okay, that could mean one of two things. Either whatever was venting is stopped venting, it's empty, or do you feel it could also be associated with the uh, thruster quad bravo we just isolated? Uh, it's possible flight. Uh, we really don't know yet, though. Okay, are we essentially in a... Uh, can you figure out what orientation we are from a standpoint of thermal control? I assume, what's our rate right now? Well, right now he has a, a minus tenth of a degree in pitch. And yaw and roll are very close to zero. Okay. Flight econ. Go ahead, econ. The pressure in O2 tank one is all the way down to 297. You better think about getting in the LEM or using the LEM system. I'm going to have to power way down. I don't know if I'm going to be able to save the O2 for the third fuel cell. For fuel cell two, rather. The heaters aren't working. Now, let's start thinking circuit breakers. You got any circuit breakers you want to check there? We saw the current flight. You saw the current. Okay, right. look. Let's look. check it anyways. Well, you're right. It looks like it's cycling up a PCM count from 297 to 302. Okay. Give me some circuit breakers to check. Okay, uh, panel 226. Trigenic O2 heater 1, main A circuit breaker. I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch you there. Cryo O2, tank one, panel 226. Cryo O2, heater one, main A, panel 226. Also flight, let's let's check the uh, fan motor circuit breakers, tank one, on panel 226 also. Fan motor. Cryo fan motors, tank one, there are three circuit breakers, three phase. Get that cap come. I've got the uh, 226 Cryo O2 Heater 1 Main A and uh, Cryo Fan Motors Tank 1, three of them on That's right, all three phases. Ecom, I don't think we're going to come to any solution here until we get back to the initial 13 set of Houston, we'd so like you to check some circuit breakers on panel 226. Cryo O2 Heater number 1 Main A. And check the three cryofan motors, tank one, three Tell phases. Flight. 
Go ahead, Flight. I want you to get some guys figuring out minimum power in the limb to sustain life. Roger. Okay, uh, Jack 226 is configured uh, just like it should be. I got uh, three react breakers and three rad breakers open. All the rest are closed. Okay, Fred, thank you. Got the circuit breakers all in, right? Rod, copy all circuit breakers in. Jack, looking outside, the number of particles has diminished greatly, almost ceased now, which indicates maybe what what venting has uh, almost stopped. Roger, Jack, thank you. We copy. Flight account. Go ahead, account. Don't we have both We'd like to verify that both B-mags are off, please. Uh, negative. We just have uh, one B-mag. You want to bring it off, right? B-mag uh, number one is still on. Capcom, let's get it off. Okay, Jack, let's take B-mag one off. Houston, we'd like you to give us a uh, survey of uh, your displays on uh, MDCs uh, 1 and 2. Uh, give us uh, gauge readings and talkbacks. Houston's still going down there, Ecom. You got any more suggestions? Okay, we'll uh, start with uh, display 1. Any more suggestions? I'm trying to pump up O2 tank 1 pressure. No. Okay, check on MDC 1. Uh, ball number one appears to be working normally. Right now I'm sitting at uh, roll zero 
Apollo Control, Houston. Backs on the SMRCS, I've got uh, helium one now are all gray, helium two are all gray, primary baton all gray, secondary baton I've got uh, two barber pole and uh, A is barber pole, D gray, C barber pole and D gray. Okay, on the ECS radiators, barber pole is gray. On the ECS primary indicator. Quite open flight. Go ahead, flight. Whatever planning you okay, do, yeah. I want to okay, do assuming that we're going uh, around the moon and we're using the limb for performing the maneuver. Okay, the cryo at the present configuration, uh, let's get a lot smarter. I think we're wasting our time planning uh, using the uh, SPS. Okay, fine. So I think all of our return to Earth
Excuse me, Fred, I'd like to butt in here a minute. Uh, we'd like to have uh, thruster C1 off. C1 is off. And uh, proceed uh, okay. with my last uh, copy is uh, secondary red in. Ecom from flight, flight Ecom. Why don't you show me where you think that problem is? Okay, Clint's coming up. Okay, your secondary uh, rad in, I gave to you 70, uh, 72 degrees. The uh, rad out's about 30. The flight uh, call of that temp is reading about 65. Steam pressure full scale high. Flight call discharge pressure about 9 uh, psi. The uh, cube, uh, secondary accumulator is about uh, 30, uh, 34 percent. Our temperatures, uh, suits uh, showing about uh, 52 uh, degrees, cabin about uh, 58 degrees. Pressures, uh, suit reading 4.1, cabin at 5. Partial pressure CO2 is up to uh, a little over 1, about 1.1. On the SPS uh, side of the house, the uh, temperature is uh, 72 degrees. Helium 3, 3,500. N2A is reading 2,300. N2B, about 2,450. And our uh, LH pressures, uh, fuel is reading about 165. Oxidizer, 170. Uh, fuel cells, fuel cell one, both flows are zip, skin temp, 405 degrees, and then your exhaust is uh, floor scale. Fuel cell uh, two, right now we got an O2, uh, or an H2 uh, flow reading of uh, 0.13 to 0.14. Flighty time. And the O2 flow is right now pegged uh, full scale high, although it's been variant uh, dependent on thruster activity, which is also given the speed the intervals from a steady reading of about uh, 1.1 up to full scale high. The uh, T-scan is about uh, 445, and the condenser exhaust uh, 17, uh, correction 180. Let's see, uh, if you want it on the uh, DC indicator, uh, fuel cell one is uh, zero amps, two is reading at somewhere between 44 and about uh, oscillating 44 to 48 again, depending on the thruster activity. Uh, three is zero amps. Uh, number three, the O2 manifold, and as much as they're manifolds together commonly. Uh, looks like the O2 and fuel cell one and two seem to be... Apollo controlled, Houston. Continuing to troubleshoot and with the Apollo 13 crew, like uh, closely yeah. watching oxygen quantities and pressures in the command module. Isolating the surge tank leaves uh, oxygen for entry if uh, this should become necessary. Also, if necessary, the, the uh, 13 valve. crew could fuel open the tunnel and use oxygen uh, from the lunar module. Okay, close reaction valve to fuel cell number three. 
This is Houston. It appears to us that we're uh, losing O2 flow through uh, fuel cell three. So uh, we want you to close the react valve on fuel cell three. It looks like fuel cell one and two are trying to hold up okay. Good copy. That'd probably be better from a standpoint of thermal control anyway, wouldn't it? Are you saying fuel cell one and two one and two are trying to hold up, but uh, we're leaking O2 out of fuel cell three? And you want me to uh, shut the react uh, valve on fuel cell three? Did I hear you right? That's affirmative. Uh, close the react valve on fuel cell three. Okay. I'll uh, I'll go to the SSR page. Uh, you want me to go through that whole smash for uh, fuel cell shutdown? Is that correct? Stand by. Apollo uh, 13 now 180,098 nautical miles uh, from Earth. Velocity now reading 3,219 feet per second. We're at uh, 56 hours, 58 minutes now into the flight. Okay, 13, uh, we want you to uh, turn the inline heaters off on fuel cell one. Then we want you to go through the fuel cell shutdown procedure on fuel cell three. Feedback. Okay, shut down the inline heaters on fuel cell one. We're proceeding with the shutdown special subroutine for fuel cell three. That's affirmative. <laughs> 